It's Friday, March 11th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, glow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Mm. You can find them at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers... On and off duty gear, that hot melted Kydex we all love so much. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. No one's working harder when it comes to small businesses than Mike Lindell. The humblest of all pillow farmers has some of the biggest sales ever for my pillow. My slippers, my pillow originals, and Giza Dream Everything. Enter the code STEAK at checkout to receive uh, big, big savings at the website at mypillow.com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear specializing in headphones can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're uh, gaming, potting, bohemian rap setting, goo, you can get all those ear needs taken care of at odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. If you're into tradesies, he's a licensed FFL. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Hit him up on Facebook Messenger via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're working hard. When they're off-duty, they're wearing... Gear for Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Mediocre Medic is the uh, .com is the website, and they've got a pretty fire IG. And last but certainly not least, the uh, top tier of Tactical Flare, home of the Zero Fucks Duck, Dump Box. You don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. He's the owner, operator, and CEO of Dumpbox.us. Find him on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our Substack, Telegram, and more. And on that note, and to all our friends joining us on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now, True Social, welcome Friday edition Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Episode 115. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's going to join us in just a little bit. We've got a great show lined up for you guys today. 
sitting House representative out of Texas 24, Beth Van Dyne, is going to be in with us. War Room endorsed Arizona 2 candidate Eli Crane will be joining us as well. And we're going to have nurse turn running for Congress, Courtney Giles. America First interview with her as well. We've got a great show lined up for you today. End of the week edition. Welcome. But before we do any of that, let's jump right into the news. How are you doing today? Well, here I am. Here we are. Ready to party. Like it's 1999. Mm. I was hoping you said that. <laughs> well, gas prices were a lot lower. Not 1999 prices. No, sure weren't. Oh, well... We have the Russia and Ukraine conflict entering week three. I thought it was only going to last for two weeks. I'm okay. glad I didn't put any bets on it. Me either. I'm still waiting to see, like, now, you know, I know it's different. We grew up in the age of, you know, Desert Shield and Desert Storm and the Iraq invasion and, of course, Afghanistan. Pagers. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, media-wise, we had a lot of embeds in with the allies as they advanced into, you know, the war zones. Here we're not... As fortunate, however, I'm still not seeing actual war. We're seeing, like, bombed-out buildings and tractors pulling Russian tanks and things of that nature. But as far as large-scale offensive anywhere, I haven't really seen it. Yeah, not so much. Trying to kind of wrap my brain around what the actual conflict is. Um, Our government is continuing to make it seem like it's World War Three, or at least the start of it. Um, I guess if we keep instigating things, it could go in that direction eventually. But uh, Sister Nance took the podium yesterday. Nobody likes her. Margarita in hand, figuratively, because she had already drank in it. She talked on a multitude of things, but... Do you think when she's on her way to, like, speak or whatever, it looks like somebody, like, running in a marathon with people, like holding cups out and they run by and like dump them on their head and but she just dumps it down her throat yeah yeah she's chewing on the celery when she gets to the podium is that why she does that weird gummy thing I, well i believe that's her dentures <laughs> or maybe it's the 300 hundred dollar gelato she ate right before she took to the podium but let's hear her kind of weigh in on on you know her kind of indicating this is the start of world war three Yes, ma'am. Yeah, in Ukraine, did the discussion come up with President Zelensky about a no-fly zone? Yeah. Um, what did he have to say about that, and where do you stand on that? Well, I I had um, last week and this week conversations with the Speaker of the of the Parliament mm. of Ukraine, and mm-hmm. that would and and correspondence that he sent us and the rest. That has always been one of the things they asked for. But they know that we can't go there. Uh, the, Putin <clears throat> is trying to. <laughs> bait the trap so that uh, we co- go in, and that's the beginning, could be the beginning of World War Three. Oh, there it is. Uh, oh. Putin totally irresponsible using weapons that are not allowed under the Geneva Connect- Convention. Connection. Putin, who uh, threatens chem- use of chemical weapons, um, nuclear, and the rest. Wait, what? So they know that we can't, but it's the ask. Now, he was uh, this morning uh, more. That he uses. Let's oh. if we can't have an if we can't have a no-fly zone, let us have our own, and we need the airplanes to come in, and that is uh, that own. is is that. Yes. What does that mean? Uh, there are planes that. The, that <laughs> Listen to what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> Ukraine pilots are trained on, and these are some of the planes that are in 
Poland. Poland said that they would do it if America said yes. America said yes, and now they want backfill. That's, you know, in other words, if we give these to Ukraine, then we want to— um, Seems like Kamala Harris' speechwriter has been working with her exclusively. Less on the— on the ask for the um, Look at the hand gestures, uh, the policy oh. more oh. on let us do oh. it, help us get the planes. But also, there is a school of thought that oh, thinks okay. the anti-aircraft <laughs> missiles and the rest are anti-aircraft. Is she singing YMCA? Myself, when I see that that those tanks, that forty miles of tanks that fly. Not those. I'd like to take out those tanks. I mean, I, oh. I think that air co- excellent job, Nancy. And having more planes might be useful, but that I'm not a, a military str- strategist. Obviously, we hope that we will be able to get up to a place. I hope. You ask me how I. I hope that we can get to a place where the uh, MIGs, which are the kinds of planes they've been. Oh, on. MIGs, MIGs. You know, if I Did was, she just watched like a movie and Red Dawn. Just remembered that. Somebody needs to like just take a still of her face and then just put it on there and then take all those hand signals that she's or hand gestures that she's doing and just make her look like a mime or something. Now, any responsible journalist would have raised their hand and wait to be called on, of course, but then told her, listen, I have things to write and deadlines to meet, and my editor is a real prick. I'm going to play back what you just said over the last two minutes and 20 seconds. I'm going to tell you. Or you're going to tell me what I should write based on what you just said. <laughs> so we're not going to have our planes actively making a no-fly zone. Correct. But we're going to let them use their planes to make a no-fly zone, and we're going to give them the planes that they used of ours to replace. You know, there's the thing in the anti-aircraft <laughs> missile tanks of 40 miles. I'd like to take out those <laughs> tanks. Yes. She'd like to select a vowel also. Yeah, it was. that's what we're working with right now. And, you know, the fact of the matter is is that it's, it's not getting any better from the Department of Defense or the State Department because, you know, they, they, we've seen a really huge contrast into what, what they've sent. You know, this, this was yesterday. Uh, and remember, it was late last week on our Friday edition of the show where we talked about we had started this narrative – and then some of our allies started rolling with it, and then it seemed like we were right there, and then we were the ones that killed it, didn't agree with it, or, or logistically, you know, they, Poland was talking about, well, we'll give them the planes, but we're going to park them, we're going to take them and, and fly them over to, to Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany, and, and you're going to stage them out of there. And, you know, there was just, well, let me break it down like this. Here's Anthony Blinken versus Kirby, the State Department versus the Department of Defense over the course of the weekend. You tell me. How to make sense of all this. What more can the United States do here if, for instance, the Polish government, a NATO member, wants to send fighter jets? Does that get a green light from the U.S.? Or are you afraid that that will escalate tension? No, that that, that gets a green light. In fact, we're talking uh, with uh, our Polish friends right now okay. about what we might be able to do to backfill uh, their needs if, in fact, they choose to provide these fighter jets to, to the Ukrainians. State Department. Uh, what could we do? How can we help to make sure that uh, they get something to backfill the planes that they're handing over to, to the Ukrainians? But it's our assessment uh, right now for all the reasons that I, I gave you. That, and the uh, DOD. That we don't believe additional aircraft is, uh, is the most effective answer to meeting those needs uh, in the conflict. Now, look, uh, sovereign nations 
can decide for themselves what they want to do. But uh, but this idea, the proposal of, of transferring these jets to our custody, then for then transferring to Ukraine, uh, that is something that we are not going to explore right now. So what this what this seems to be the case of, it, it's like when everybody's drinking and they say something so outrageous that they don't think anybody will go with it, but unfortunately everybody's like six natty ice lights in and they're like mm. you know what that sounds like a fucking outstanding idea let's all do that and do it worse than you've proposed it and then the person who proposed it was like i was just kidding no fuck it we're doing it yeah but it's we too right now yeah that's kind of where we're at and uh in regards to the plane so where they are where they're going and and what's going to happen with them is kind of up for debate and it's it's one of those things where I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what happens because, you know, we've heard the Speaker of the House, the Secretary of State, and then the spokesman for the Pentagon all come out within a 24-hour span and contradict each other. So I want you to go beat that guy, but don't use your bat. I'm going to give you a bat, and then I'm going to replace the bat that I gave you with a different bat. There are so many other things I could say, but I'm just going to say yes. (laughs) That's kind of where we're at. Lucky for us. Back on the European continent, Kamala Harris was meeting with one of the most base presidents of them all, Mr. You sure she didn't imagine it? Well, no, but we are going to get into (laughs) she did another one. Oh, no. Yes. We are definitely not sending our best over there. Let's uh, get into her and the narrative that she's pushing in in, uh, Poland with the Duda. Up a process by which there will be a review and investigations, and we will, of course, participate as appropriate and necessary. But we all watched the television coverage of just yesterday. Mm. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet (laughs) based on what we've just been able to see. And because we've seen it or not, doesn't mean it hasn't happened. (laughs) What? She must love space. But just limited to what we have seen. When? Just now? Pregnant women going for health care. What about pregnant men? She's talking about the omnibus. Being she just assume the gender. How dare I don't know, missile a bomb. What? Missile a bomb. In an unprovoked, unjustified war. Just a war. Where a powerful country is trying to take over. A less powerful one. Another country violated sovereignty, its territorial integrity, for the sake of what? Wait. Nothing that is justified or provoked. Wait, sovereignty and territorial integrity, Absolutely like us? Absolutely, there mm. should be an investigation, and we should all be watching. And I have no question the eyes of the world are on. On? The television. Where? This war. Oh. And what Russia has done in terms of this aggression and these atrocities. I have no doubt. Is she doing this via Zoom and it's like buffering? What's going on? It's it's double podiums with the president of Poland. Oh, scissor me tambours. Oh, you you may have pressed the button too soon because she... She got into the things of talking about the here, there's, but now she's talking about flanks. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about Wait, what we which have flank? in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies. And what is at stake at this very moment? Standing on my left leg, <laughs> on my right leg, standing on both legs. And I'm here, now, at this moment. When? Can you imagine it? But we just passed it. <laughs> Close your eyes. <laughs> You're getting from a really bad script. It was so brutal to watch. No, but it, it, I got nothing. I can't. And she just messed I up again. She's like, I'm on the eastern flank, northern yeah. flank. 
I wonder who writes her speeches. Probably the same person that gave a speech to Nancy Pelosi yesterday because she had the same shit going on. Do you think it's that intern with the claws? They don't have. She we did have, it, Joe. <laughs> she doesn't have any interns left. It might be that guy. Oh, that's true. Everybody's leaving or left. Listen, I have a bootleg copy of Microsoft Word. I will write all your speeches. <laughs> <laughs> we did it, Joe. All right, I got one more clip of making how absolutely embarrassing Kamala Harris was in Europe before we get into some of the uh, real issues going on with this conflict. So we are committed in everything we are doing. Mm -hmm. And yes, then the president did say in the State of the Union, there is a price to pay for democracy. Oh. Mm. Got to stand with your friends. (laughs) (laughs) And as everybody knows, even in your personal life, Being loyal to those friendships based on common principles and values, sometimes it's difficult. Often it ain't easy. Oh. She did a head. She did a little head. But that's what the friendship is about based on shared values. So that's what we're doing. Sharing values? (laughs) It's almost like she's talking about Juicy Smoulier. Double meaning. Wait, so that's, that's if you have your friends pretend to beat you? Yes. With yeah. the bat you were talking about a couple minutes ago. Yeah. Well, it's somebody else's bat, obviously. Aside from all of that, <laughs> so we have no idea what the fuck's going on, and neither do any of our elected officials. And if they're not lying about it or literally not being able to formulate any kind of narrative about it because – they have no idea what the fuck's going on. Like, how many times are you going to get up in front of the world and not be prepared and just, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to freestyle this one? Yeah, well, there's definitely a running count, so. It's very telling. I mean, clearly they don't know anything, what to say, what to do. Yeah, but why would you try if you have nothing I prepared? Know. It's amazing. I know. It's embarrassing. People like to say the administrative state isn't as strong as we all make it out to be, but you can literally see them tearing this administration down from the inside out as they watch the rest of the world burn. I feel like, because, you know, they've said that Kamala Harris's staffers are all just leaving, like, Mm -hmm. mass exodus because it's just such a clusterfuck. It must be that, you know, she shows up and, like, like Carl just fucking quit, and he actually has the laptop with your freaking... Speech on it. So. <laughs> I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time. It's going to be fine. It's the northern, I mean, the she western starts, flag. She starts putting on her knee pads like, no, not that. Yeah, and, and democracy costs oh. a lot. Slurping her way to the top. I feel like somebody else told her democracy costs a lot. Yeah. <laughs> democracy ain't going to pay for itself, come on. <laughs> well... Unfortunately, we don't have anything logistically to report on this conflict. However, there there's a there's a narrative that, you know, has co- probably cost more than one account to be nuked over the last 2 weeks. Antoinette touched on it briefly in our Friday edition, and that is the uh, biolabs that supposedly mm. didn't exist. Um apparently they do. Another conspiracy theory that was born too soon. And uh John Kirby came out strong. For no bioweapons labs. Remember, well, not to mention, there wasn't there a White House uh, press statement or whatever? I did share it. Yeah. Those things never die. Thanks. Well, I'm going to give credit right now. Missy Super Scorpio account. She's going to get, she's going to school to become a lawyer, and she always deep dives into these things and sends them to us. So 
kudos to her and, and all the work that she's doing. But the key word here is going to be bioweapons lab. Emphasis on weapons, because that's how we're shaping the narrative right now. Let's hear John Kirby completely deny they even exist. Describe the, the sentiments of the Ukrainians. That is for them to speak to. And I will uh, obviously we defer to the Ukrainian government to 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 uh, to speak to this on their own. Buck passed. The issue of um, uh, military biological um, labs in Ukraine <gasps> that the Russians keep uh, raising. Yeah. Can you clutching them? basically explain to us what type of relationship, if any, there was between the Pentagon and the Ukrainian side on any biological labs? Uh, when was the last cooperation? And what do you have to say about these Russian accusations? Hmm. The Russian accusations uh, are absurd. Hmm. They're laughable. Okay. And, uh, you know, in the words of my Irish Catholic grandfather, a How bunch of you. malarkey. Hmm. There's nothing to it. It's Joe classic Biden's grandfather? Russian propaganda. Uncle Malarkey? And, uh, and uh, I wouldn't, uh, if I were oh. you, I, I wouldn't give it... Uh, I wouldn't give it a drop of ink worth worth paying attention to. Good thing we type it up now. Can you explain to us what has there been any relationship between the? We are not not developing biological or chemical weapons Weapons. inside Ukraine. It's not happening. Yeah. Thanks, John. Go ahead. Go ahead. Are you concerned that that, that Russia is actually doing this because they're planning some sort of a a chem biological? Yeah, court. I mean, again, not being Courtney for the false flag question. The minds of the Russians. Uh, We have seen one of their playbooks is to accuse the other uh, uh, that which you are doing or which you plan to do. Stuttering Uh, indicates lying. uh, it's create a narrative that uh, of victimhood and uh, and blaming somebody for else for something that you're in fact going to do. I have no evidence of that. I'm not suggesting that that's in the offing right now. Um, I have no intelligence in indicators that uh, that that type of weaponry is in Ukraine and being planned weaponry. to be used. So I want to be clear. But it is of a piece of the Russian playbook uh, to blame others for that which you are about to do or you're, you're considering doing. That's a, we've done they've done that plenty of times before. Since on intelligence, since you, you said that they- Okay, that's enough of that one. That lady was lobbing him softballs. Team, care to weigh in? <laughs> I mean, clearly. I have no intelligence, period. <laughs> Sounds like he, he's uh, gone to the Alejandro Mayorka school of I don't have the data on that right now. What do you think, Antoinette? Seems to be coming true faster yeah. than ever before. Yep. It's like, what what did uh, Don Jr. say? He used to take six months, now it's like six days <laughs> for our conspiracy theory <laughs> to come true. Um. It's hilarious how they're changing like the terminology too to try to make it seem like that there's a difference between biological laboratory, biological research facility as well when they're the same shit. You know, Wuhan was a bio research facility. Well, <laughs> the, the spin started to go to right from here because well, a biological weapons only a biological weapon when you use it as a biological weapon. If it gets right. out, then it's just a bio experiment that escaped. So exactly. it, it turns out that these labs did exist. Weird. But we were mm. conducting biodefense. Mm. So how dare we call them weapons? Use the wrong pronouns. That's when you have the bat, but you're, you know, just like you're sanding it and making it really nice before you use it. The sand fleas mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so within hours of John Kirby denying the existence or telling the reporters that they sh- shan't waste ink on it. Oh, of course. We had a spokesman for somewhere up on Capitol Hill in front of a congressional panel chaired by Marco Rubio, which 
even gets interesting er, but we're going to hear him grill this slob first. You go out of your way to lie to the American public about all of this. If the, quote, research materials in these labs were to escape somehow, and you seem very concerned about that, what would be the effect on Ukraine and then on the rest of the world? Mm. How can we prepare for the consequences of that, this thing that you're worried about? Shouldn't we be preparing? Because as it turns out, we've just spent the last two years living with a pathogen that began in another foreign biolab funded by the United States government secretly. So this question is on our mind. It seems fair. That was me. Now, that's some of what we would have asked if we were U.S. senators, which we're not. Yes, there's a time limit. Time limit be damned because this is kind of important. (laughs) But Rubio did not ask those questions. Instead, he changed the subject and told us once again that Vladimir Putin is bad. Why? (laughs) If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100% it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. This is classic Russia. <laughs> okay, just get a pen. It's a classic Russian technique to blame on the other guy what they are planning to do themselves. That's what Toria Newland said. We almost laughed out loud. So what you're saying, Toria Newland, if, for example, you were funding secret biolabs in Ukraine but wanted to hide that fact from the Hmm. people who are paying for it, in whose name you were doing it, then you might lie about it by claiming the Russians were lying about it. In other words, you might mount a disinformation campaign by claiming the other guy was mounting a disinformation campaign. Is that what you're saying, Tori Newland? It's pretty funny. What's not funny is that this is all entirely real. We invited Marco Rubio on this show tonight to tell us what he knows about these biolabs. He declined to come. That invitation remains open. In the and, meantime, and that was kind of the narrative that Tucky was going to run with, that someone gave Marco Rubio these softball questions to used and in turn what it did was kind of <laughs> gave them the ability to continue to spin the narrative on russia it's just a bit trust your government mm-hmm. operation paperclip operation mockingbird gulf of tonkin so i i found the press release <laughs> from june 17th 2010 i attached it to a tweet on our account i think two days ago when someone was out there pontificating that these bioweapon whatevers didn't exist. It said, yeah, it's, it's a shame when you, you waste a tweet on something when, when the receipts never go away. U.S. Senator Dick Luger applauded the opening of the Interim Central Reference Laboratory in Odessa, Ukraine this week, announcing that it will be instrumental in researching dangerous pathogens used by bioterrorists. The, three, the Level 3 Biosafety Lab, which is the first built under the expanded authority of the Nunn-Luger Cooperative Threat Reduction Program will be used to study anthrax, tulamia, and Q fever, as well as other dangerous pathogens. Q fever? Yeah. The continuing cooperation of Nunn-Luger partners improve safety for all the people against weapons of mass destruction and potential terrorist use in addition to the advancements and pretensions of pandemics. <laughs> Five pandemics. <laughs> And public health consequences. Luger said he plans for the facility, which began construction in 2005, when he and then-Senator Barack Hussein Obama entered a partnership with Ukrainian officials. Hmm. We all know what partnership means. Money laundering. 
Luger and Obama helped coordinate efforts between the U.S. and Ukrainian researchers that year in an effort to help study and help prevent the avian bird flu. Mm. We all know how great that was. The Nunn-Luger Act, which established Cooperative Threat Reduction Program, was established in 1991. So it's definitely way back in the Wayback Machine. That's when Ukraine was claiming its independence initially when the Iron Curtain was lifted. Since that time, it has provided funding and assistance to help the former Soviet Union state dismantle and safeguard large stockpiles of nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons. The program has been responsible for destroying chemical weapons in Albania as well. Interesting. Yeah, that was a uh, U.S. Air Force Counterproliferation Center CPC Outreach Journal Entry number 818 from June 17th, 2010. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oops. And apparently... I don't know all the details and specifics, but these these research facilities, they're also genetically modifying and altering pa- yes. the pathogens to target specific genomic sequences, like Big time. white male Russians. So, you know, white, you want white male. Yeah, I saw rage. that where, where it was like, uh, like specific nationality genetic material needs to be white, Caucasian and Russian. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the data collection. Yeah. Yeah, that's been going on here domestically since the start of the pandemic. Apparently, uh, our good friend James from We The People Radio actually met one of those researchers when he was at a Clay Clark event in Dallas, mm. and she told him all about it. They were they were mass testing people and looking for certain genetic markers and throwing out all the rest of them, even though they were blanket testing. Mm-hmm. And when they got into asking her, like, you know, well, what are you doing with this research and data? And she she didn't really want to elaborate. She said they were keeping it and storing it for research purposes. Yep. As you can imagine. Sounds like a science fiction movie. We're just yeah. keeping all your DNA in case we need to repopulate the earth. There you go. With the, with the right people, not you. So yesterday, John Kirby at noon, Marco Rubio 3 p.m., Tucker jumps in 5 p.m. Eastern, and shortly thereafter, the State Department was extremely angry with the narrative he began to spin. Oops. And uh, issued a statement on those commentary. Let's What's the statement? Don't listen to that guy? Essentially. Why are we funding this, and what exactly are we funding? We reached out to the State Department separately, and they provided <laughs> us with this very carefully worded statement. Quote, the U.S. Department of Defense does not own or operate biological laboratories in Ukraine. <laughs> not that anyone said they did. Continuing the quote, under Secretary Newland was referring to Ukrainian diagnostic and biodefense laboratories during her testimony, which are not biological weapons facilities. What's the difference exactly? Continuing the quote, these institutions counter biological threats throughout the country. Mm. End quote. So that means nothing. You could describe our nuclear stockpile correctly as defensive. Our nuclear weapons are not designed to preemptively kill anybody. Mm -hmm. They're designed to prevent other people from killing us. But they're still nuclear weapons. So why don't you stop lying and telling us what's going on here? And why don't you more specifically tell us why you didn't secure these materials? So yes, we're funding secret biolabs in Ukraine, but they're diagnostic and biodefense laboratories that counter biological threats. Okay. If these are purely defensive labs, why was Torian Newland so concerned that Russians would get a hold of the materials from these facilities? Well, there you go. Probably because in order to protect against those biological threats, you have to actually have biological threats to base your research off of. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I'm not a doctor, but I play one on this podcast. Oh, there you go. I sometimes play one as well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't really have that. I'm better at it than you are. I I, I don't have a good win loss record. Um, 
yeah, so that's kind of where it started and where it's going um, and where we're at. A lot of denials and, and misinformation, but, again, I just read the press release. I thought, I thought you were going to go into a Kamala tirade just then. Here we are. It's where we are. I'm standing using legs. I'm sitting. It's an eastern flank. No, northern. In, so- in Northern California, Southern California. I'll just be Nancy Pelosi and hit the microphones while I'm talking. She got a pretty good knife hand in, though. I like that one. Yeah, that's true. It was a high knife hand. It was like you're, you know, knife handing the troops in the back. <laughs> well, you know, it didn't, it probably didn't take the boys over at War Room too long to uh, jump in and, and want to dogpile on that. Steve Bannon uh, wasn't too happy with, with Marco Rubio's performance and, uh, Wanted to know where he got those softball questions that he was, you know, lobbying at that lady who was defending the uh, existence of these labs. Let's hear him weigh in. You see the slaughter pen that's over in Crimea, as, as over in eastern uh, eastern Ukraine right now. You see the slaughter pen. You see the women and children. You see the shelling. It looks like 1939. You see the slaughter pen. We've had slaughter pens before. And mark my word, we're going to head there again. We have no earthy idea. Look at Victoria Newland yesterday. Mm. Yes, there are. Uh, biological research facilities, yes, yes, yes. And and we're quite concerned about biological research material, yes, yes. As she's tippy-toeing through the minefield before Rubio gets her off the hook. The question, if you're a citizen of Florida, citizen of Florida, you should be calling Rubio's office and say, please tell us, was it the CIA or the Defense Department or DA? Who gave you the questions? Who gave, who gave you the questions, sir, that you could ask it in that way? Who gave them to you? Okay. Uh, I want to go to, uh, if I can do this, and Philip Patrick and Ben have been terrific to, to hang on. Uh, ben, I want to go to you. Uh, what I want to do first is just where we stand in the round four negotiations of what really is the bid and the ask for this. Can you get me up to speed on that first? I'm going to go to Philip Patrick about the economic impact and then back to you on some other topics. But, but tell me, where do we actually stand on this? Well, as far as the, good morning, Steve, as far as the fourth round, goes the date and time hasn't yet been set only the location which will continue to be belarus and the the progress that has been made there it, um is specifically to do with the um the the humanitarian corridors work on the ceasefire hasn't really made much progress now as you were saying before in your monologue we um we now know what the um what the conditions are that russia has Impose. I very quickly do them. It's that Ukraine ceases military action, that it changes its constitution to enshrine neutrality, that it acknowledges Crimea as Russian territory, and that it recognizes the separatist republics of Donetsk and Lugansk as independent territories. And we also know, we spoke about it last night, we also know um, that Zelensky, um, having previously said that the obstacle to progress on the ceasefire remains the the, the territorial integrity of Ukraine he has now said that well you know those are some of the points we made up last week it's pretty interesting that they were categorically reread um almost in the same order right following mm-hmm. the weekend good job team killing it yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I like it he wasn't done because after he got done with uh Ben Harwell, he uh, had Darren Beatty come on, hair disheveled. Got a new article out at 
revolver.news. Go over and read it. All about how the George Floyd method, it's a thing. The method? The method is now being used. The method? Thanks for spoiling it. (laughs) (laughs) To demonize Vladimir Putin in Russia. Mm. Let's uh, hear Darren's take on it. Revolver News. Yes, we cover this phenomenon in great detail in the latest piece on Revolver.News. Title, let me see if I can pull up the title here. It's Globalists are using the George Floyd playbook to cancel Russia, Hmm. and you're next. So what does that mean? It's a bit of a a, a provocative title there, but it, it points to something deeply serious that we need to understand in order to fully grasp what's going on with the propaganda war of Ukraine. And that is that the full machinery, the comprehensive, full-spectrum, robust machinery that we saw deployed domestically in the aftermath of the George Floyd issue, Would you call it where an apparatus? every single corporation was paying fealty to it with some kind of performative gesture, every financial institution every outlet in the media, anyone who wanted to signal that they're a right-thinking person on social media, the whole calculus, the whole dynamic of the mass psychology of the social media environment driving things to a point of irrational excess. We see all of that deployed for the very first time in a foreign policy context. It's the same machinery we saw, just different inputs. Now you see Ukraine as the input. And it's, I think, a very new and very dangerous development in terms of how foreign policy is conducted. Mm -hmm. Because to a large degree, this is an organic process that takes on a life of its own and really leads to, to a dangerous escalatory effect that we're seeing reflected in a lot of ignorant um, and careless leaders' statements on the issue. I like it. Look, we got Mike Pence. Darren Beatty's brilliant. Yeah, and I he like just, him. He just lays it out there as, as real as it gets. He doesn't get enough credit for the amazing journalistic work that he does either. So I guess at the end of the day, because the narrative to kill the word weapon when it's attached to biolabs and Ukraine is so huge, that means the only thing that exists in Ukraine are bioweapons labs. It, it, it literally can only be the only thing. Mm-hmm. Has to be. Because we're at a time now, in this time, that we have just passed. Time is still going. We're currently in it. We're here now. And there are bioweapons labs. In Ukraine. On the western flank. The eastern flank. Actually, it's the southern flank. Well, actually, it's all the above. If you're talking about Odessa. And Poland was dared into starting World War Three. And then called Joe Biden on his bluff. So now there's no planes. That's where we're at currently at the Russia and Ukraine conflict. They're going to continue to show you file footage of bombed out buildings. You can't really get any real footage, even though we live in the greatest technological time of the galaxy of anybody. No one's got a GoPro. No one's got a cell phone. The only videos we've seen so far that even look relevant are from fucking video games. (laughs) Or movies. And other wars. I've been uh, seeing some saw on Telegram though. There's there's this one channel, CIG something in Intel Slava. Okay. They've, they've been showing some legit footage. Is there heavy breathing in AKs and Adidas <laughs> Adidas jumpsuits? <laughs> yeah. Those are my favorite. No, no Adidas jumpsuits. 
But I, I saw that with the, the Chechens helping Ukrainian mm-hmm. civilians and whatnot. Was that the and, ones where they're giving them medicine and stuff? Yeah, medicine and, and um, children toys. and. Yeah, I was, actually, I was actually, I think I, I saw somebody share a video from that, and I just started, like, scrolling through it last night and watching all the videos. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. seeing the death squads. Uh, did you see, Antoinette, did you see, if you didn't, I'll send you the the clip after the show. You'd see Russia's State Department actually called out a, a girl who's a social media influencer. She does, like, makeup and shit. She got all fucking done up and was a crisis actor in the hospital that supposedly got bombed. Really? They facial oh, facial recognition technology her, and they're like, you can say whatever you want. It's fucking her. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a 100% match. And she had, like, cuts on her face, and she's supposedly pregnant and all this other sad stuff. And She had a, she had a my pillow stuffed in her shirt. Yeah, there you go. Use a cut steak. She was wearing the Beyonce bump. I saw the uh, I saw a meme and it was like, "You want to hit Russia where where it really hurts?" And it's like Adidas refuses to do business with Russia. Let me buy Adidas jumpsuits. I just bought an actually uh, I bought a brand new uh, Adidas track jacket recently. Made the purchase and nice some, and some new new Adidas sneakers. Well, you might need to blend in if things go really bad here. I, mean, I can't do that <laughs> accent really well. No English. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, that's kind of where we're at, and we'll continue to bring you the narrative, or lack thereof, but all of the misinformation and, and fog of war that goes along with this situation as it continues to develop, or doesn't. Um, remember, Ukraine needs to do very few things that hurt itself for this conflict to end. Uh, we may not agree with all of them, but they're kind of laid out on the table, amend their constitution to proliferate themselves as neutral in all shape or form. No EU, no NATO ever. Doesn't seem too unreasonable. You're still going to be able to do all your trade. You're still be able to get weapons and stuff from other countries like NATO nations and the United States and stuff like that. So it really doesn't affect anything there. Obviously, we were doing stupid shit with the bio labs, and we haven't learned our lesson with COVID. So good job, government, on that one. And then uh, Crimea, it's already a loss. Just make it official. And then the you know you're not giving the disputed Donbass region to Russia. You're just allowing them to claim their independence, whatever they decide to do with it in turn there. I mean, let's be honest, it's been Russian puppet government since they broke away uh, a couple years ago. So, I mean, probably not what you want to do, but sometimes at the end of the day you have to make difficult decisions. And and until I see uh, full-scale warring going on from the Russian side, I'm just going to continue to play this right down the middle, and uh, we'll continue to commentate on it in the most neutral way we can. Obviously, there is no victor in either side of the situation because people are dying regardless. I don't yeah. think it's on a mass scale like they're saying. Um, but, you know, that just happens. So, yeah, I, I guess we'll pick it up on a brighter note now because I'm pretty excited. We're about to jump in with our first sitting congresswoman. Nice. Beth Van Dyne. She's joined the chat and her audio's keying up, so let's take it over to her. All right, joining us first today, she is the uh, congresswoman representing Texas 24, former Trump administration official and the mayor of Irving, Texas. Beth Van Dyne, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on today. Oh, no, it's our pleasure, ma'am. How's everything going with you? Um, You know, if, if we could get D.C. more organized, I think it would be better. I've been a congressman now for a little over a year. I came in in the minority uh, three days after I got elected. It was January 6th, and we had impeachment trials, and uh, it's it's gone downhill from there. Okay, <laughs> it's, so- been, it's been a hell of a year. It's been a hell of a year. So it's pretty safe to say, being a former Trump administration official, it's not been that great of a time since yeah. you got there. It was the best of times, and then it was the worst of times. <laughs> the blurst of times. Well, you, 
you see everything that worked in the last administration. I mean, the gains that we were able to make, the manufacturing jobs that we were able to bring back and, and, and bring back to America from offshore because of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. You see what we were able to do at the border, securing the border, um, because what we were doing with the Remain in Mexico and Title 42 programs, you see what we were able to do with energy independence mm -hmm. and being able to provide that strength, not just for Americans, but also for our allies around the planet. And how this administration, for no other reason alone than just anti-Trump, has started to disengage this and just to completely take apart all of those policies that were sound, that worked um, just because of their hatred for a president. And it's it's mind boggling. But even worse than that, you see the effects that's having on working families. Yeah, you know, they just the, the, the inflation that we're seeing, you know, the the fentanyl that is being allowed in over the border on um, the crime, you know, with their with their big uh, uh, defund the police outcries. And now the crime that's right, rising in major cities, violent crime. And you just shake your head and you're like, this is common sense. How did we get so far so fast? It's, it's you know, when you touched on that, the middle class families and how they're affected, it's something that we've been really harping on on the show, especially recently. We've actually been doing a piece in, in some of our news sections, you know, which is basically, it's essentially the war on the middle class. And they're just trying to dissolve it as fast as they can, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, pushing the green agenda or just telling you to live with the, the high gas prices and the empty shelves and, and how much everything costs, you know, and just in, the, in like the easiest layman's terms, like it almost takes $200 to equal what $100 was under the Trump administration right yeah. now. And, uh, you know, that's pretty scary for all those people who are just either getting back into the workforce after the pandemic or now having to have two or three jobs just to be able to keep the lights and heat on in their home, which are, you know, ridiculously driven high prices as well right now. And keep coming up. I mean, part of the problem is we, we saw that, oh, it's just going to be transitory inflation. Oh, this is just a short, short term. This is a longer term. The inflation is higher than it's ever been. And it's not just inflation on things like gas and milk that we can see potentially going down if supply chain issues are resolved. It's not. It's on things like living expenses. It's 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 things like rent and mortgage. Those are going up at you know, almost double digit, depending on what cities you're in, double digit amounts. Those amounts aren't going to be going down anytime soon. And it's the working families that it's hitting the most. Exactly what you were saying. Those people who are trying to get get back to work, get their lives back after the government shut them down for the last two years. We were already in a very, very disadvantageous position. And now you're adding to it, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan and how that has just empowered and emboldened, you know, uh, terrorist dictators like Putin to go into Ukraine. And now we're seeing the effects directly to the U.S. citizens. And now the threat of China going into Taiwan. At what point in time is this administration going to say, you know what, our policies are not working. We will admit that. We're going to go look at policies that do work. We're going to work with Republicans who have the best interests of the working families and the American public at heart. And we're going to start putting solutions that make sense. You know, I, I've been in D.C. You know, for, for a while back and forth. When I'm not voting, by the way, I go home. I don't. I don't stay in DC. I That's think good. Bad for bad for your brain. But you know, common sense just seems to be lacking, and and, and sometimes lacking in both parties. But we're seeing the, this far left progressive um, um, wave come through the Democratic Party, and in us right now, not having the presidency, not having the Senate, not having the House, and and how quickly it's it's just downtrodden our country. Uh, it's it's astonishing to me. 
Yeah, that's a really good some points you make there, and uh, I'm going to kind of try to stay in that thread. You talked about at what point does the administration kind of, you know, come to the realization that their policies aren't working, which you could talk about anything from foreign, domestic, trade, education, uh, immigration, you name it. It's It's been a complete and absolute total disaster. You could even rope the military in there for sure, whether it's the stuff that happened in Afghanistan mm-hmm. all the way down through getting rid of a lot of the top tier of their, you know, operator force with the mandates and things like that. But do you think right now, because we can get an actual pulse from you, you know, as political analysts and, and commentators, we can make all the assumptions we want by seeing how the news cycle turns and some of the guests we have on the show, whether they're former administration officials or people running in America First uh, candidacies and things like that. But you're actually there. Um, is, do you feel like it's they've gotten the perfect storm of what they need to do to pass or at least promote whatever they want and they're in kind of like – we're not taking our foot off the gas. We're going to try and burn down as much as we can before we hit the midterms. <laughs> well, I think you've seen that, but thank- thankfully they failed at a number of, of, of bills. Yes. You know, that Build Back Better was a disaster, and I'm glad that it didn't go through. But now they're trying to break it up into smaller chunks and push it through. Um, I, am, I, am I glad that that has happened? Yes. I mean, I'm glad that you've got members of the Senate who are fighting back. But you're, you're hearing it from home. I mean, I come home and I'm, I'm having small business roundtables. I'm having roundtables with our academics, with our parents. I'm going and talking to people in the district. They are fed up. Republicans and Democrats alike, independents, are fed up with what they see happening. I mean, fentanyl is now the number one killer of Americans under 45, adult yep. Americans under 45. Where is it coming from? China. Yep. How is it getting through the U.S.? Because of our poor southern borders. Parents are seeing this. The control that Democrats have tried to push down their throat over the last two years is unconscionable. And people are waking up. I mean, I can't tell you how many parents are are fed up. They they may have had a a liberal agenda up until the point that they started seeing what their kids were learning in school, up until they started seeing their nine-year-olds have to go in with masks if they were even allowed to go to school. And when you start messing with people's kids, that is a line that they draw and you're seeing them fight back I and mean, we saw it in virginia i mean wow you even saw it in san francisco yeah, yeah. not that long ago with 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 the uh um, the school board races there you've seen it in district 24 in south lake yep. you have the carroll isd where they started pushing back on the crt agenda and you know the the uh, uh, candidates who were up for election won by 70 percent of the vote I mean, this is passion that you're seeing in our country, unlike I've ever seen before. It's going to carry through to November. And I think Democrats are starting to wake up. They're looking at the polling. We were able to, in Congress over this this last week, push the uh, the Biden administration into doing what it didn't want to do. And that was supporting Ukraine. And that was, that was pushing to stop Russian um, oil into coming into our country. The, the Biden administration didn't want to do that. But we were able to force it because he saw it coming down the pipe on our agenda and knew that it was going to pass bipartisan. Um, so we're having a fight, it seems, on all fronts. But I think we're being a little bit more successful now. And I just I appreciate that the light is at the end of the tunnel in November. Not that we're going to stop. Not that we're going to let go on the gas. I mean, we're going to have to run through that tape. But I think you know, independents and Democrats alike are, are, are seeing the damage that has happened because of these progressive policies in our country. And they're saying enough is enough. Yeah, I feel like we've touched on it a few times where basically what we saw when the administration got changed out was the frenzied crowd cheering for everything that got taken away from what Trump had done. You mm-hmm. know, anything from 
something beneficial. I always harp on Operation Talon, which mm-hmm. is something that goes after just the worst of the worst to just all these basic things that are affecting us now. And it's like people, they were, they were, they were a frenzied crowd. They were cheering. They were, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs every time something got taken away until they realized that now it's being taken away from you. Yeah. Taking away. I mean, you think about the rights that we've, we've had taken away. You know, it used to be your rights at the tip of my nose and then we had mask mandates. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we have gotten to the point so, so often that we, we are put in this fearful position. You're going to lose your life. Your grandma's going to die over the last two years because of this pandemic. The Democrats have used this as an opportunity to seize control. Um, I right now am pushing back. We have this mask mandate on planes. I witnessed myself and I taped it. You know, a family getting kicked off a plane because their their child refused to wear a mask. Um, you know, they, they, it wasn't their first flight that they, they were connecting flights. The kid was exhausted, tired, in a strange place, wanted to go home. And you have these two flight attendants asking, acting like mask police. Yep. And they kicked this family off a flight. People are living with this every day and they're frustrated. And, and, and when you start seeing the Democrats who are partying in Florida not wearing masks all together, you start seeing us on the House floor. You know, the day before the uh, the State of the Union is when they finally lifted the mask mandate, which is obviously political theater. Yeah. It is all about control. It is all about we're going to tell you what to do and we're going to scare the bejesus out of you to make sure that you comply. Right. People are starting to wake up um, and we're fighting back. And again, you know, lawsuit is step one. We've written letters. We've made demands from the administration that have fallen on on hollow ears. But we need to start fighting back. And that was why I got elected. I I promised my constituents that I would be a fighter. And that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, we need more of that. We certainly do. Yeah. Congressman, we saw the uh, omnibus pass yesterday with with a little bit of an extension just in case it doesn't get through. Joe Biden's desk in case he decides to take off to Delaware this weekend and push it to Monday. Take a nap. You want you want to provide a little Go bit eat of, some ice cream? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> chalky chalky chip. <laughs> so you want to give some commentary on what you thought? I mean, obviously there was some stuff in there that we needed to keep the lights on for the federal government and and but one point five trillion dollars, there's a lot of junk in there that we have, you know, not seen since the early two thousands. Uh, quite notably earmarks for a lot of the uh, Democrat co sponsors of it and uh you know, I'm pretty sure that you're not too big into uh, government waste spending like that. What do you what, what do you feel about you know some of the logistics of it as it passed? What I have seen over the last year, and keep in mind that that, that it was broken down into two bills. Mm-hmm. What I've seen over the last or the last year is Democrats are forcing Republicans. They will give us a bill that we fifty percent of it is stuff that we know that we need. Our constituents are demanding. And right now, that is support for what's happening at our border. That's support for Ukrainians to be able to defend themselves. Um, That's support against China and their hypersonic weapons. I mean, we are falling behind on our defense. And I'm hearing from my constituents, that's important to them, especially what's going on the border and making sure that our Customs and Border Protection folks get the resources that they need. But what Democrats have been phenomenal in doing is forcing us to take this bill and voting against those things because they put poison pills in them. And then what you hear on the on 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 all the headlines is, oh, Democrats or Republicans voted against border security. Republicans voted against working families. So this week was a slight bit different because you had progressives who were refusing to support defense measures. And you had Republicans who were pushing it. So they, they broke it down into two pieces. They had defense piece and non-defense piece. The defense piece, I really believed, had um, um, projects in it that we had to support. 
for the defense of our country, for the security of our country, for the future of our country. And then there was broken down into a separate omnibus, which you know had funding for things like Green New Deal, which is killing us. It's killing our, our energy industry. It's killing our, our defense. But they also had things like support for Planned Parenthood yes. and, 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 and you know taxpayer-funded abortions, which I could not stomach voting for. Um, it was finally, you know, I looked at some of these larger bills, and I'll give you a perfect example is the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, look, I fully support, I got DFW Airport in the middle of my district. That's the number one economic driver in our state. They've got $10 billion of deferred maintenance. We need to get more roads. We need to get better roads. We need to make sure our bridges are not crumbling. I could have supported that on our infrastructure plan. But unfortunately, they piled all of these other things, all these other projects that were nonsensical wastes of money. So I had to vote against the infrastructure bill. The omnibus bill, we actually separated out. So you had a, a large majority number of Republicans who could stomach the, the, the defense portion. But the other, it's, it's killing our country, the spending. And then we're wondering why inflation is going up when you're paying people to stay at home. Yeah. Gee, why are people not getting back in the workforce? But we have had an opportunity, I think, to, to show what we vote for this last week and what we vote against. And, and I think it's been muddled by some. Um, I know the progressive, you know, want to do a, a victory lap, that they got to vote against these programs. I'm, I'm going to say we need to just support some of them. But I was happy to be able to say that I could not support a large majority of them in a separate vote. Yeah, it's good to hear. And uh, definitely sounds even better when you point out a lot of, you know, the intricacies of it and, and kind of break it down for our listenership to hear because, you know, they, they see it on TV, they hear omnibus, they see 1.5 trillion, they show some file footage of like Ukraine and Russia fighting. And then they show like a talking point from Nancy Pelosi. And for the casual politics follower, it's really hard to kind of wrap your brain around like what the whole almost 3000 page bills, you know, showed and, and, and had in them. So yeah, I think it's Forget good. Forget the casual. Forget the casual politics person. <laughs> yeah, As a Congress t- member. You know, I mean, they had a rules committee meeting at one thirty in the morning to discuss what we we're going to be voting on the next day because the Democrats wanted to fly, you know, drive out. They had a, an issues conference in Philadelphia and they had their buses waiting. So they didn't want to they didn't want to stall anymore. And so one thirty in the morning they met. So forget the casual. I mean, as a Congress member, we're looking at these thousand you know, plus page bills, 2000, 2700 page bills. And trying to figure out, okay, what is in this? Because they've been sliding things through. They've been taking things out that we've had agreements on. And that is not, you could not run a household, much less a country like that. Yeah, you certainly can't. And uh, it seems to be part of the Democrat playbook, especially since, you know, the start of the Trump presidency to whenever they, uh, when they took back the House and the Senate after the 2018 midterms to try and, uh, you know, get in there and sneak that stuff in in the wee hours of the morning when they didn't think people were going to... uh, you know, show up, yeah. Show up, vote, or or talk yeah. on it. We've we've seen some really uh, barn burners though in, in defense of uh, you know trying to give Nancy Pelosi a hard time in regards to that. Congresswoman, I want to switch gears and talk to you about one of the things that's probably most important coming up on the agenda, especially for the uh, the GOP, and that's the importance of the midterm elections. Um, we've had the opportunity to host several dozen America First candidates. A lot of them are endorsed by President Trump. Uh, the ones who aren't are running pretty super solid America first campaigns. And, uh, you know, we've seen a huge grassroots movement of people who wouldn't necessarily be getting involved in politics, not only getting involved in these races, but picking up steam and coming to the forefront as leaders to uh, win their primaries as we head into the uh, general election season. 
in 2022. And uh, want to know what your take on is uh, how important it is for the House and Senate to go back to uh, the Republican side of the House after these midterm elections. And what is your feeling on a lot of these candidates that are like kind of rising to the top right now nationally? Well, I love to see it. I love that we have so many candidates. We have so many outspoken, um, very strong candidates. I mean, you look at the freshman class that came in in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's not many wallflowers in that group. Nope. Um, and, and I appreciate the fact that we come from different backgrounds. We've got different experiences that none of us are falling on this identity politics of why you should vote for us. Vote for people because they have served in the military and they've seen it firsthand. Vote for people who've run in, in, in world, you know, seen at the local level have had to work with businesses and working families and a diverse population and have actually been able to do successful things in their in their communities. Vote for people because they've got a strong backbone and are willing to take the fight where it needs to be taken, taking those slings and arrows in, in the press and on social media and not care because they know what they're doing is right. We have those candidates right now. The American people are frustrated. Yeah. What they're seeing in, in D.C. every single day, but you've got people who are willing to step up. But I'll tell you, as, as a female candidate and as minority candidates, Democrats do not want Republicans, um, members of Congress who are minorities or women, and they end up spending more money in fighting those campaigns. As much as they say they want a diverse a diverse Congress? No, they don't. They're proud to be able to say that they have it on the Democrat side, and they will tout that, but they fight it on the Republican side. And the fact is, we do have a very large tent, and you're seeing people step up in, in, in taking those fights um, where they need to be taken and, and getting beat down for it and winning anyway. So I am optimistic about what we're going to see in November. Again, we can't sit back on our laurels. Right. Yeah, the best thing that we're seeing right now for the primaries, in, uh, for the primaries, for the general elections in November, the best thing that we're seeing is what's happening um, on the, the, the crushing um, inflation that's being forced upon our working families as a direct result of Democrat policies. But the fact is, is that if we, we, if we do get back the House, the Senate, the presidency, we got to have a plan moving forward. We saw what happened in 2017 when we didn't. We lost a huge number of opportunities. Well, we had Trump um, as president. We had the House. We had the Senate because we fought amongst ourselves. So, uh, you know, I've only been there for a little over a year, but making sure that we have plans that we are ready to move forward to when we get control of the House is going to be utmost important, that we're not failing our responsibilities when we actually get to the majority. Yeah, I see a lot of... Uh... Subtle competition for those leadership positions coming up, to say the least. I see people kind of lobbying. There's some really strong, you know, there's the the people who are there now, you know, McConnell and uh, McCarthy, and they both have their pluses and minuses. But there's also a lot of other people who are really running hard to, uh, if you know, if they're going to be leaders, hold them accountable because we're not going to, we already have the administrative state to work against and, and the radical liberal yeah. progressives and, and their whole agenda to go out and try to demonize everything we do in regards to the American first agenda. But the fact of the matter is we can't have people in our own party sabotaging it again. You know, we've had so many people on this show who have worked. I mean, even one of your counterparts in HUD, John Gibbs, he came on, he gave an awesome, you know, uh, campaign platform laid it out for our audience. He's running a really great campaign in Michigan 3. And, you know, people that have been in government, like, you know, Cash Patel is a regular guest on our show, and Amanda Milius has been on with us a few times, and, you know, they just kind of lay it down. Like, it, it wasn't the agenda, it wasn't the people that were in place, it was everybody else who was just like, oh, okay, this is going to be really annoying, or this is going to cost me my, my lobbyist job when, when Donald Trump leaves office, so I'm just going to slow it down as fast as I can. We have to try to figure out a way to get around that whole thing. 
Well, I think the other thing, you know, not only do we feel like we're fighting our own, our own party at times and, you know, the media, absolutely. But I think what a lot of people who haven't been inside the belly of a, of a federal bureaucratic beast don't seem to understand is you're also fighting that bureaucracy. Yep. So you have when, when a new administration comes in, they get to appoint, you know, um, almost 3000 appointees across the country. It sounds like a lot until you see the millions of bureaucrats that we have that have been there for forever. Mm-hmm. They want to keep their jobs. They want to be able to hire. <clears throat> they want to be able to more money for their their apartments um and you're fighting that every step of the way that you you make it a political appointee that comes in who's trying to implement what's coming down from the administration but then you've got millions of people who fight them every step of the way understanding that all they have to do is wake them out you know they may be there those political appointees may be there two years four years tops all they have to do is placate them until they're gone, and then they start all over again. Yeah, And that is a fight that I think of most Americans, unless you see it up close and personal, don't realize how hard it is to affect change at the federal level because you've got people who have been there for decades. I mean, we've had folks on the staff in HUD who've been there for over 50 years. Mm. They've <laughs> seen political appointees, administrations come and go. This is the way they're going to do things. And because of the the strong federal employee unions, it's almost impossible to fire people. You can't hire the best and the brightest. You have what you have, and you try to work with them because you you don't have a choice. We have got to work on changing that. We want the best and brightest in government, and right now you don't have it. I've I've never seen – out of all the things that they pushed back on that Donald Trump had proposed, it was that federal employee accountability – uh, for like career appointees and people that had uh, achieved career status in the government, that they were going to be now, uh, you know, had the reviews done based off of merit and not how long they have worked there. And that was like one of the biggest pushbacks I've ever seen for any kind of legislation or policy uh, coming from the Oval Office ever since I've been alive. And I'm in my mid 40s. So I thought that was pretty crazy, but definitely something we need to look at because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's going to take. We got to start busting up that administrative state. Good thing a lot of people should be retiring by 2028 for, uh, you know, know, our career employees there in the federal government. So they got to get out before that retirement changes. But uh, well, look what happened with the vaccine, uh, the uh, vaccine mandates. Yep. I mean, by forcing people think about that for a moment, you have people who are who were pushing back on the vaccine mandates within the federal government. You know, those people tended to be um, on the conservative side. By forcing them to to firing them in instances, if they didn't get the vaccine, what did you do? You pushed out that conservative mindset that any if you did have federal government government employees who were um, who are more on the on the Republican side, you pushed them out, you fired them. Yeah. So it, it's even worse now than it was a few months ago. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to say. And then with basically COVID being over. Well, they said, they said it was over. It's over, yeah. right? I mean, but they're still actively filing paperwork to kick people out of the military. It's and, like, well, and they is just it over or not? The, mac, the mask mandate on planes. Yeah. So, you know, in public, in public transportation, they just extended it through April. It was supposed to, it was supposed to uh, be done March 18th. They just extended it another month. Is it over? I know for the political fear, the state of the union, he, I think you know, Biden tried to do this victory lap. Of, oh, I beat COVID. The fact is they're still using it to control people. Yep. And they were so mad they had to get it taken out of the uh, omnibus that passed because they were really trying to, you know, they, they would have got that in there and it would have opened up a whole new Pandora's box of what they could use that money for and then claim that they were. A pandemic box? Pre- yeah, pandemic box, prepared of getting ahead of it. 
Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on is uh, it's kind of congratulatory. It's a uh, two-tiered. First one, you just wrapped up a primary uh, beginning of the month. It was a pretty close race. I, I was looking at the numbers. It was close to 90% uh, you won your primary by. So congratulations to that moving forward to the generals. <laughs> Thank you. Thank and the, you. I, you know, I, I love when, when, when people run. I, I think we should have more candidates run. So I would never, you know, behoove uh, uh, having people run against me. I think it, it gives me an opportunity to get our message out to actually have to defend, you know, votes and your opinions and in, in, in your decisions. So I, I, I think more people should be running. So, you know, God, God bless anybody who's willing to, to take on an incumbent and to run and be a candidate because it's harder than most people think. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. And that's one of the things we hear from a, a lot of guests that come on, you know, they'll lay out their whole platform. And then we ask them, like, you know, what is like one of the intangibles from your race? And they're like, I never realized how much work it was. I get up at 530 in the morning and I get home at 1030 every yeah, day. Yeah, not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. So now and that's an odd thing to say right now. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> and the last thing I want to touch on was you just had a house resolution passed, didn't you, that, that you sponsored and yeah. uh, you got through. Congratulations on that. Why don't you let our listenership uh Hear, hear about what you, uh, you know, got going there and, and just uh, got through. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, you know, uh, several weeks ago in the city of Colleyville, um, we all watched um, as a, a, a terrorist came into a synagogue and took four members of that synagogue hostage during the middle of their, um, of their, of their services. And this was caught on live stream. So hundreds of members of that synagogue got to watch directly as it was happening, got to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, they got to hear the uh, anti-Semitism that was being spewed from this person's mouth, how he was fighting to try to get a convicted uh, terrorist, uh, Islamic fundamentalist, um, released from prison. Um, and then we saw an administration turned around and said, oh, no, this was not terrorist activity. Oh, yeah. no, this was not anti-Semitic behavior. And all of us at you know, who were watching this were shaking our heads. You know, we've seen parents go to school board meetings and fight for their children being called domestic terrorists yep. and we actually see a, a, a an actual terrorist in te- Texas 24 in Colleyville in a synagogue and let's face it the guy did not go into an Applebee's he picked that synagogue for a reason and the resolution thanked law enforcement for making sure that there was a peaceful um, you know, the, all four of those hostages were to return safely to their families. We thank the community for coming together, which they did very strongly that day, and for continuing to support those families and friends of the hostages. But we also condemned it for what it was. It called out that this was a terrorist activity and that this was an anti-Semitic um, 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 activity. Uh, and calling it out for what it is is so important. We, we tend to hide those things in and push them under the rug, especially the media and in our progressive uh, colleagues. And calling it out for what it was, I think, was really important. The other thing that I think was important is pulling so many folks together on that. Yeah, That resolution had more supporters than any other resolution or bill in the 117th Congress. So for those folks who say, oh, Republicans refuse to work across the aisles, we don't work in a bipartisan manner, give us a chance. Yes, we do. We can make our case when we're actually given an opportunity to do that. But that did pass uh, by a voice vote. So nobody even um, uh, you know, tried to vote against that. But it was, it was a, a message that I think needed to be sent. We do see terrorism. We do see um, um, fundamentalists, radical fundamentalists trying to come in and change our country. When you see that, call it out. 
stop it with 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 the parents who want the, what's best for their kids, with American citizens who are trying to live their American dream. Do not call them domestic terrorists, but call out terrorism when you see it. We saw it in Colleyville that day, and I'm very proud that um, my colleagues recognize it as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, the biggest point you make there is that we just can't get complacent on those things, even though it's been you know, a, a decent amount of time since we've had a major terrorist incident in the country. It's as soon as we start, like you said, not calling it for what it is, not calling it a an act of extremism, not supporting law enforcement and coordinating, getting those people home safely to their parents, that, you know, the people who are working behind the scenes to maybe do nefarious things in this country are like, you want to know what? They don't even care. This is in broad daylight. Heck, it's on live stream. You know, and, and if, if, if they could see it with their own eyes and not call it what it is, then just imagine what we could do and park a car here or, or you know, somebody wear something into a subway there. And next thing you know, we've got another Boston bombing or even worse. Yeah. So it, it's really awesome that you did that. I was reading all about it last night and I saw the overwhelming majority of the vote and I wanted to congratulate you on that while we had you on today. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to doing more things like that. I mean, we're trying to get bills on health care passed. You know, giving people more op- options, more opportunities. We've dropped three bills on that. Let's see if it gets out of committee. Let's see if my Democrat colleagues are willing to help fight, you know, for the American people, for allowing um, um, widows who don't have health insurance but aren't 65 yet to be able to get on their adult kids' health insurance. Can we extend AHSAs? I mean, there's things that we can do that don't cost a whole lot of money, but give more freedom to Americans to be able to make decisions based on their priorities and their budget. You know, can we get that support for that? So we're going to keep fighting. Uh, I think it's it's important. You know, you need to have representatives who have ideas, who are willing to bring those solutions and bill form to, to the floor. Um, but we also need to have people who are in the majority who are willing to have those arguments, who are willing to have those discussions, not just talk one over one another, um, you know, and, on, on, on C-SPAN. <laughs> yeah. I want to have negotiations. I want to have conversations. Let's bring that back to government. It's, it's desperately needed. Well, you keep crushing it, and we're going to keep uh, supporting you the best we can. Congresswoman, this has been awesome having you on the show today, letting you get to uh, talk to our listenership and let them know everything that's going on, not only in the Beltway, but, you know, in Texas 24 and everything that uh, you're working hard on. We'd, of course, love to have you back, maybe closer to the midterm elections, get a little bit of update on the, uh, you know, the general election matchup, what the pulse is is, uh, like in D.C. at the time, and then anything else that's kind of a hot topic right now. And, uh for our listenership that's listening now, everyone that's going to get out and support you in your re-election campaign, can you tell them where your congressional website is, maybe social media is? Uh, my campaign website is BethForTexas.com. I'd love to have you come visit me at Twitter account at Beth Van Dyne. Um, we're active on Facebook. We'd love to have the response. You know, right now we have a lot of trolls that follow us on Twitter and kill yeah. us. <laughs> so, you know, having those discussions even on, on social media, I think it's great. It gives everybody an opportunity to be able to be engaged. Oh, you'll so, see, you'll um, see us in the comments. Appreciate session. my supporters. They've been phenomenal. Um, and I look forward to continuing to fight for them. Nice. Yeah, awesome. And like I said, we'd love to have you back. This is the sitting congresswoman who's representing Texas 24 in uh, the 117th Congress. Beth Van Dyne, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Y'all are awesome. Thank you very much. What do you think, Noah, our first sitting Congress person? She was pretty amazing. She was outstanding. I like her. She was better than solid. I was pretty surprised to hear that we were her first podcast. I'm not. We shan't be her last, though. Right. And she definitely will be back. So, And uh, we did tell her to tell her friends, so we'll see what happens in regards to that. In regards to everyone get on the bus, yes, the omnibus. The bus is here. It happened yesterday. Now. Just imagine. In a sweeping bipartisan vote, much to Antoinette's dismay, a 68 to 31 margin, pretty disgusting for our elected officials, and that tells all of our listenership just how invested they are in you and your families. 
the don't care meter is pinging off the charts right mm, now. Red line. Um, we saw some things that we haven't seen since the early 2000s also. Um, there was a lot of bullshit approved. So I think the most important one we have to look at, number one, irresponsible and inflammatory spending. Eight different nations will re- be receiving billions of dollars from us. Damn! For border security. Oh, nice. However, the United States will be receiving zero dollars in regards to border security. Antoinette, what do you feel about that? It's sick to my stomach. Hmm. You sure it's not the little flu bug you got going on? It's the, it's the omnibus? It's, it's the demo crap flu. Yeah, there you go. As Beth Van Dyne told us, it was introduced day of vote after midnight, 1.30 a.m. They had until the end of the business day to vote on it. It exceeded 2,700 pages. <sighs> and uh, it would take the average speed reader about 9.6 hours to get through. Unbelievable. No shame. It's just so brazen. So you're saying there's a chance. Hmm. (laughs) Let's see. What else do we have in here? Uh, $88 billion increase over the current base spending levels. So printing more money than ever before. Um, Let's see. Got $46 billion higher non-defense spending and $42 billion to increase of defense spending. So I guess that's decent. Uh, There was some... Questions about defense spending, though, there was, like, contracts and appropriations for, for a whole bunch of equipment, including new planes that weren't even requested. So, mm-hmm. uh, Oh, good. Yeah. We're, we're Are they going be, to Ukraine? Bon- <laughs> yeah, bonus planes. We're going to be operating in the red in that. Um, the spending on of this bill, which is, exceeds $1.5 trillion, now goes on top of the $6 trillion already provided by Congress over the last two years. And in regards to the COVID stuff that's in it, it's been, it was completely taken out. I guess that was like where the Republicans drew the line. Who gives a shit? They're still going to do whatever they want with COVID. If they want to go back into emergencies or lockdowns or whatever, they're still going to do it. But I guess $15.6 billion in emergency supplemental appropriations requested by the Biden administration for COVID-19 were removed. And the big reason behind that is because $800 billion that was appropriated last fiscal year still has yet to been spent or even appropriated. Hmm. Um, Ukraine was continued to be used as a political pall. Or I'm sorry, a political pawn. Um, thirteen point six billion dollars. Remember, zero for our southern border. Thirteen point six billion in aid to Ukraine, um, and the rest is unrelated non-defense spending increases over other controversial provisions. Some of the crap that's going to Ukraine: Javelin anti-tank missiles, M142 high-mobility artillery rocket systems, uh, Stingers, the surface-to-air missiles. Spicy. Yep, night vision goggles and miscellaneous military equipment and aid. Hmm. Hmm. First time since 2008 we saw earmarks in an actual budget. Uh, that's just completely wasteful pork spending. Basically, they're blank checks that they could use for other shit later. Yep. Abortion was refunded. Uh, Title 10 would receive $286 million of your tax dollars. Those 87,000 uh, IRS agents teased throughout the Biden campaign is becoming a reality because we are going to provide them $12.59 billion and $675 million increase in annual funding. And they won't be looking into people in Congress. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much green energy goes into printing money, but we sure printed a lot of it for green new bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a historic level of funding, $3.2 billion, a 12% increase from the last Donald Trump budget. It also provided almost $2 billion for the Department of Transportation, climate change programs, 
uh, $1.5 billion for carbon reduction programs, and a 700% increase for, I'm quoting now, environmental justice programs. Environmental justice. Undefined. Environmental <laughs> justice. Hmm. Oh, is that the racist? No, the tr- trees aren't racist, right? How dare you? Are the, ra- are the trees racist? They no. It, the lack of trees is racist. Oh, there you go. Well, let's, let's, let's hear some of our elected officials lie about it. Um, you know, we're going to bust into our second sister, Nancy, one of the day because somebody uh, kind of hit her up on a little bit of the pork that's in here. And you want to know what she had to say f- to them? You need to grow up. <laughs> Just to follow up on the omnibus, you're blaming Republicans for the delay in the situation with the COVID relief, but you, you didn't have votes within your own party. Do you regret pushing this test out in the middle of the night? And, and now no, 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 that's what it is. It's, let's get, let's grow up about this, okay? <laughs> We're in a legislative process. We have a deadline uh, for keeping government open. We have a lively negotiation. It has to be bipartisan. We want it to be bipartisan, but in Mm. the Senate, you need 60 votes. So when I say blame, you say blame. I'm saying because you need 60 votes, and they consider that a plus. I don't. If you need 60 votes in the Senate, they have to... um, uh, come to terms. And as I said, we, it was greatly reduced. We didn't do localities. We did much less uh, attributed to the states. And we had, um, um, uh, unfortunately, less money. She's disgusting. She makes me sick. Yeah, she's just the absolute worst. I can't Ugh. wait for okay. the midterms to come and she'll be gone forever. Yes. You know, I used, to, I used to not, not buy into the whole... Donald Trump being the Speaker of the House for a minute, but now I don't even care. I hope he is. <laughs> At this point, whatever, whatever works. It'll be the first time that a, a gavel exchange happens and the current Speaker of the House doesn't show up. Yeah. Well, as you could probably derive from that, some of our elected officials were not thrilled with this being delivered in the middle of the night, the size of it and the amount of garbage that went into it. Um. They always do this that I pull this shit like last minute overnight, no time. It's so dirty. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Recently spied on by the Capitol Police. Troy Nels weighed in from his office. Let's hear his take. afternoon, folks. Congressman Nels here. This afternoon, or maybe this evening, we'll be voting on a $1.5 trillion omnibus bill. It's 2,700 pages long. Mm. Here it is, and we've had less than 24 hours to look at it. Nancy Pelosi, she's rushing this massive spending bill because the Democrats, folks, they're going on vacation tomorrow. They need to get it done today. It's full of irresponsible and wasteful spending. It doesn't eliminate Biden's vaccine mandates. We have spent $5.7 trillion on COVID relief, and there's $800 billion remaining. It's unspent or uncommitted. Folks, ask yourself, where's Fauci? When's the last time you've seen Fauci on TV? Clearly the pandemic has lulled. There's no need for vaccine mandates. And we must repeal the National Emergency Declaration. Border security, it cuts $428 million from Customs and Border Patrol. Think about that. When we've had 2 million crossings this year, 2 million crossings in 2021, fentanyl deaths are at an all-time high, we have human trafficking, and there's no new funding for Trump's border wall. It pours hundreds of millions of dollars into the Green New Deal. 
Green New Deal, hundreds of millions. Matter of fact, it even gives intelligence agencies money to study climate change mm. when their efforts should be focused on China, Russia, and Iran. There's no energy relief. I know you're paying $4 a gallon for fuel. And in California, they're paying $7. Trump was absolutely right. Let's unleash American energy independence, reauthorize the Keystone Pipeline, reverse the drilling ban on federal lands, and make America energy independent as it was under Trump. Last thing, I support the $13.6 billion for Ukraine. I would have been Stop a yes it. on it if it had been a standalone bill. But no, they put it into this thing. There's so much waste, fraud, and abuse, I cannot support it. And Putin, today you bombed the maternity hospital in Ukraine. I want you to burn in hell. God. Oh, they're all getting their shots in. Just yeah. let them be. Um, I mean, he made some good points. What 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 can you say? Everybody's gonna virtue single. Definitely. It, it's the new uh, get your booster. Exactly. Get your Ukrainian relief. I think a little bit more fiery was uh, Chip Roy. He made it to the House floor. Did he? Yeah, he looked a little agitated to say the least. And uh, I I kind of liked his take. His was my favorite one. It, it's definitely going to be my favorite one before the one after him, which I'm not even going to tease. But uh, let's hear Chip Roy kind of weigh in on this thing. Well, I appreciate the speaker. I appreciate the ability to address a few of my colleagues here on the floor of the House. I would note, though, here we are again. We're sitting here at the precipice of a government funding uh, running out. And I hear all my colleagues talking about uh, how great it is. We're going to come up with some great big omnibus bill, and I'm hearing that from my colleagues on both sides of the aisle. Nobody in America wants us to plus up more spending irresponsibly. Nobody in America wants us to say, oh, let's pat ourselves on the back now because some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are saying, well, you know what, it's time now to ban Russian oil. Mm. It's not good enough to ban Russian oil if we're not going to open up American oil and gas. Mm -hmm. All we're going to do is provide more money to Venezuela, more money to Saudi, more money to Iran. But yet, that's being touted as a victory. And some of my colleagues on this side of the aisle are saying, okay, good, oh, this is great. But my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, they don't want any oil. They don't mind your gas being $4, $7, $10 a gallon. Don't get played. But my colleagues on this side of the aisle are about to get played. And everybody back home is saying, what are you going to do to stop vaccine mandates? Nothing. What are you going to do to secure the border? And my colleagues on this side of the aisle are going to say, oh, don't worry. We're going to give you more money for ICE, more money for Border Patrol. But you know what that does? It makes it worse. Because you're funding the processing of people at our border. Yep. Because that's all Border Patrol and ICE are doing. 100%. But my colleagues on this side of the aisle are going to say, oh, look at us. We did something for you for border security. It ain't true. It's going to make it worse. And anybody who's been to the border, anybody who talks to Border Patrol, anybody who talks to ICE knows that's true. We're not going to get a vaccine mandate. We're not going to get a secure border. And we're not going to get more oil and gas being produced in America. And then we're going to say, great, let's have a vote and send more lethal aid to Ukraine. And we're not even going to have a debate down here about what we're doing and funding Ukraine with Putin rolling over Ukraine, all we're doing is backroom deal-making, waiting for somebody to drop a bill on the floor of the House and then come down and vote yes or no. That is a disgusting display by both sides of this body. We ought to have a full and open debate on the floor of the House 
about what we're doing in sending arms to Ukraine, how much we're spending, what it means for our involvement, what it means for NATO, what it means for stopping Putin, and stop spending money we don't have. Stop funding tyranny. Stop forcing Americans to get a jab or lose their job. Stop leaving the border wide open and stop selling the American people a bill of goods. And I'm looking directly at my party when I say that. And I yield back. Mm. We don't hear enough of that. Nope. By far. I think that was uh, the best summing it up you could probably make in regards to that narrative. Because I tell you what, Mm -hmm. after deep diving on that bill for the last two days, I probably spent about eight hours breaking down some of the numbers and being absolutely baffled by the enormity of shit that's in there. Um, To think they've gotten away with this kind of shit for so long. When was the last time we actually passed a federal budget? I know. We didn't during the Trump presidency. No. We didn't during the last Obama presidency, the last four years. Was it it the Clintons? Was Bill Clinton's second term was the last time we passed an actual budget? I think it might be. Fucking embarrassment. I mean, we've been running in the red for two decades now. (laughs) And and while 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 we're in 20 years worth of wars and trying to start another one. Mm -hmm. Well, don't worry, because Mitch McConnell, after hearing of this rant, came to the floor to break down the Ukrainian aid side of the bill. And you can hear him talk about all of his backroom dealings when he described the $14 billion going to Ukraine. Well, let me start by saying if I were the majority leader, we'd be on the Ukraine supplemental right now. It's been challenging uh, to get our Democratic colleagues to do what I believe the Ukrainians uh, need at this particular point. What do the American people need? But where we've ended up is at $14 billion. Um, In order to get to $14 billion, we actually had to uh, prevent House Democrats from blocking loan guarantees to help Eastern uh, NATO allies uh, buy American aircraft with their own money, Mm. which shouldn't have been a problem. The House Democrats tried to cut the own, uh, the administration's request for security assistance by $300 million. In other words, it's been like pulling teeth uh, to get out of House Democrats what the Ukrainians obviously need at this particular time. Um, And we've been slow, much too slow. But the package, I gather, will be coming over from the House attached to the Omni. I think it's an important step. It needs to be passed, and it needs to be passed quickly. Feelings? Same shit. You know, there's some... I read a really good op-ed last night. It talked about Rick Scott proposed some America First items that were obviously not going to be in the omnibus, but definitely ones that could have been. And there are some murmurings in the Republican Party, that he's going to be making a play for Senate Majority Leader after the midterms, and that interesting, based off of his support of Trump-era policies, might be somebody that Donald Trump might actually king-make. Mm. I, I would definitely get behind that one. Yeah, same. You know who wasn't all about for money going to Ukraine? 
Hmm. Steve Bannon. Well, guess how many dollars he wants to send over there? Zero. That's a little bit less than one. Republican <laughs> should vote for any money for Ukraine. Zero dollars for Ukraine. As much as your heart wants to help the poor women and children who are bombed and shelled every day, right? That picture right there in the New York Times. The horrible agony of the Ukrainian people. Not one penny. I hate to be an adult. But when I was a child, I thought like a child. Now I'm a man. you got to think like it. Until we get a full briefing and disclosure of exactly what is going on with facts. Seems to make a whole lot of sense, right? Very. I just don't understand how America last has so quickly taken over this country. So quickly. We're not even 15 months into this disaster. and I mean, Trump was right about everything. 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 Yeah, everything he said that they were going to do, what was going to happen is literally happening. Yeah, it's, a, it's just absolutely embarrassing. And, you know, I don't know what the fix is here besides getting these America First candidates over the line. I tell you what, though, it's going to be uh, refreshing to get our next guest in here. She's joined us in the chat. Her audio is keying up right now. We're going to be joined by Courtney Geals. She's running in North Carolina 4, and she's an America First candidate who uh, has some ties to the Trump administration and uh, has been an emergency room nurse. So let's get her joining us right now. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's coming in looking to represent North Carolina 4 in the upcoming 2022 midterm elections. Courtney Geals, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? It's great and chaotic all at the same time. You know, things change constantly, but my background is being an emergency room nurse. So that's kind of my forte is having to switch gears really quickly. So let's, let's stay on that and kind of develop it a little bit for our listening audience. Who's getting to hear you for the first time on the show. So you, you said you have you're an emergency room nurse and that's the career path you obviously chose. And now you're running for the U S Congress, something obviously changed or uh, triggered that, you know, big jump. What was it? Well, I've always really valued truth and honesty from a very small child. I'm a Christian and I was taught that way by my parents. And I mean, I was probably too honest as a child. And so that's just something even in my marriage, my husband is, I thought no one could be more blunt than I was, but my husband is. And so when I see people being manipulated by lack of truth in the media, that's really what, you know, pushes me to want to do something. But ultimately, um, all of this kind of started with my husband. It's kind of totally an extraneous detail, but it's important. Uh, I am a nurse, but he's a CPA and he happened to have two months off right after the November 2020 election and ended up being the lead data expert on the Trump versus Raffensperger case as okay. a data analyst. And we really saw the truth in that specific Georgia election integrity case. And that's not what the public heard. And me being a nurse uh, with COVID and just seeing, again, the manipulation of the public and how our country is so divided on both of these subjects. Um, once the mandates came out, that was really what pushed me to run as I could see we were very quickly losing our freedom in America. Yeah, that's a big combination right there. You're talking about Stop the Steal and then the whole narrative behind the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, that seems to be a lot of the factors that go into, you know, a lot of these America First candidates who are coming out of the woodworks from all different kinds of careers, whether it be retired military, small business owner, you know, you got teachers, people that 
that had nothing to do with politics. And next thing you know, they're right in the thick of it, which is going to lead me into my next question. How's the campaign rollout been? What's the trail been looking like so far? Well, I think it's going well for me. I've built a pretty good team around me. Uh, I grew up in my district in Orange County, North Carolina. I know you guys are close to Orange County, California, I think, right? Yes. Um, so I grew up in my district, uh, went to high school, public high school there. I did go to South Carolina for college, but um, came back to North Carolina and I'm totally from here, but ended up travel nursing. So I did live in Seattle for for three years, but now I'm back living in my district and it happens to be the two counties that are the most blue are really the ones that I've lived in the most. And so the people of this county, these counties that are Republican have been really discouraged because the incumbent, his name is David Price. Mm -hmm. um, he is retiring and he has had the seat for almost 30 years. Oof. And so they are just thrilled that he is retiring. And I'm thrilled because statistically you can flip, flip a seat when the incumbent is not running. So uh, the other three counties that were looped in, they're actually more discouraged because they were in red districts and now they're in a very blue district and they're wanting to, you know, throw in the towel and I just have to get them pumped up and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to work together. We're going to create an army and we're going to flip this seat. Yeah. It sounds like you've definitely got what it takes to be doing that work getting out there, especially after the redistricting that's been going on from, you know, in the state of North Carolina, we've heard everybody from Madison Cawthorn to Tony Cowden complain about it and, and the stuff that they're trying to do to make sure that, you know, Republicans and conservatives and especially the America First movement is slowed at every angle. So it's good that you're kind of get out there and, and hitting it. What are some of the, uh, you know, you say it's been a relatively blue district, but it's kind of turning and, uh, you know, you're working hard to, to make sure that it does turn in November. What are some of the things that are, are you know, most affecting uh, North Carolina for right now? What are the big issues right there that, that people are interested in? They want to see change or, or, you know, see people working on in the Beltway? Well, we all see inflation pricing is just insane. I mean, even going to a fast food restaurant right now, I don't know if you guys are noticing there's no more dollar menus. You know, if you get the low cost things, you're still going to pay like eight or nine dollars and you get like two items off the cheap menu. Uh, that's something I personally have noticed outside of gas prices, but I've talked to a lot of small business owners, one actually particularly last night, um, that just said, I don't want to be a small business owner anymore because mm. most of them, the problem that they have is hiring. It's not even the prices or the taxes that they're complaining about. It's the lack of interest in working and they get somebody that works. And then, you know, six weeks later, you know, they're doing drugs on the job or they just don't care about customer service and it's just not working out. And I think that just has to do with laziness that we've, that, you know, really my generation, I'm 31. There's a lot of laziness in my generation and a lot of people who don't want my Ultimately, my worldview is, you know, to glorify God and the Bible tells us whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Unfortunately, our our country is going away from God. And so there's not this ultimate, you know, worldview that says I need to do everything to the best of my ability because that really comes from God. And, you know, science will just tell you do whatever, do whatever's best for yourself, survival of the fittest. And I think that's the direction our country is going. So small businesses are really seeing how people are just very selfish. And if the government's willing to give them, you know, even a small check, they'll just stay home with their parents or live with a friend or live with a boyfriend or girlfriend and just not work. Yeah, those are some really good points you made. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've really been focused on the war on the middle class. And it sounds like, you know, that's some of the things that are directly affecting your district. 
And then when you hold bring in, you know, you, you bring up the spiritual aspect of it, it seems like, you know, the people that are in power right now have done everything to make that separation from, from God. And, you know, they've, they've made everything seem so bleak that, you know, the places you should be looking for most to kind of find, you know, resolve and, and salvation are the places that they're telling you that, you know, essentially don't even exist anymore, don't matter, because they're just going to continue to make it worse. So I do like how you have that kind of emphasis on that right there. Mm-hmm. Well, and she talks about, you know, the, the laziness that's, you know, infiltrating society now it's well i mean what do you expect when everybody gets a trophy and your failure is not based on your action it's based on anything but everybody gets a covid relief check yeah to not go to work right well there's the slogans that say like you do you or live your own life and everything is very self-focused even in psychology you know they're like well what's the best for you you know make yourself happy and that ultimately, we're never going to fully, you know, be happy with ourselves. Um, And so really work is usually what people, you know, have pride in. And that's something that they're losing. And, you know, we keep talking about the mental health crisis that really is a crisis in America. And as a nurse, an ER nurse, you know, most people get brought through the ER and we see, you know what, this, whatever our system is doing now, it's not working because people consistently come in the same people and they're not getting fixed. So it sounds like when you get into Washington, one of the things you definitely want to get into is the great health care debate and the lack thereof. That probably includes a, a heavy emphasis, emphasis during the last Trump administration on uh, veteran services where, you know, the mental health and, and actually the opioid crisis is affecting it greatly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my grandpa, he did pass away about a year ago, but he had Alzheimer's. We were expecting it. But um, I would say the past few years of his life, he was in the VA a lot. And one of those was with a cardiac issue. And I actually encouraged my grandma to take him in because I could tell he was breathing oddly. And I actually was like, I think he's an AFib. Like, I could just tell. Mm-hmm. And that's like an irregular heart rhythm, which you would think, you know, you can't really tell that from the outside. But right. I checked his pulse and, I, and that's what he was in. They get him into the hospital. And I said, he needs to be cardioverted. I knew that right from the get-go. That's what I wanted them to do immediately. They did not. They kept him in the hospital with Alzheimer's all over the place for a, um, a week and did a cardiac catheterization. And uh, he did not need that. I knew that he already had these huge blockages that they knew they couldn't fix and he needed to be cardioverted. And guess what? They kept him in the, in the hospital for about a week, didn't listen to the family and decided to put him on a blood thinner and cardiovert him in like a week after that. And it was just horrible, like the way the care was, but there's no checks and balances because it's the government healthcare and people want to push this universal healthcare system on, but you're going to, your quality of care is going to go dramatically down if the government is involved in our healthcare. Yeah, that's a that's a big point right there. And well, and it doesn't it doesn't lead for anybody to try to like. Why would you try to produce new methods and try to improve upon stuff if it's just like, well, this is our budget, so whatever. Yeah, let's run every. They care about budget. They kept somebody inpatient for a week that didn't need to be inpatient at all. Yeah, and you know, in in private healthcare systems, their goal is to get people out of the hospital because it doesn't financially help them to keep them in. So actually our tax dollars are being wasted by keeping people in the hospital that don't need to be in the hospital. Yeah. It's something that's kind of gotten out of control and gotten away from, uh, unless they're getting COVID bonuses for having people in for COVID. Oh, there you go. They're dying of COVID. They get money. If people die of COVID, there's yeah. really no incentive to keep them alive. What was your whole take on the COVID narrative, Courtney? Well, initially, you know, I felt, you know, as American, you know, I'm all about freedom all about, you know, just the way the constitution's written, we're used to doing our own thing, being independent, making our own decisions. And so I was actually travel nursing in Seattle, which is where I met my husband and we were married at 
no, we were engaged at the time. And I found it so odd how they were, that was where it started. And, and our, the whole city just shut down. You go from this hustle and bustle, big city, we were living in the city to, you know, dead in streets. And very quickly, you know, when they started saying, oh, Amazon's going to work from home, Google's going to work from home, you know, it was just like, what is going on? It was just a very interesting, like vibe. And it was very unsettling. And I would say, I felt the same when you, talk, you hit on Ukraine, I felt the same unsettling feeling like something's not right this is not what we're what we're being told there's something just manipulative about it and that's just how I felt it was like this gut feeling I couldn't objectify it I could just feel like this is not we're not getting the whole information and so um the initial uh problem that I heard I mean it's repetitive with the CDC how suddenly the CDC is giving our medical recommendations but they told everyone that no one needed to wear a mask in the hospital unless they were going in a COVID patient's room and in that case they only needed to wear two, uh, what I would call droplet masks, because they're like the surgical masks that mm -hmm. you can buy at Costco now. And um, I was like, you know, this is, we don't know if this is an airborne or a droplet precaution respiratory disease. Why are we not doing the utmost precaution and wearing N95s if we go in these rooms? And they're saying, oh, the CDC says we don't need that. Well, really, it was a supply and demand issue because we didn't have N95s for everyone. And you couldn't get a regular droplet mask to wear around the hospital because there was none. So early it was an economic problem and they were portraying it as a safety issue saying, oh, you're safe because if they told us we were unsafe without that personal protective equipment, then we couldn't do our jobs. We couldn't come into the hospital. The first rule of basic life support in the hospital is, is the scene safe? And the scene wouldn't have been safe for healthcare providers to come into work if we needed that PPE and they couldn't give it to us. So the recommendation was we didn't need it. Mm. Makes perfect sense. Were you surprised to see how fast this whole narrative got out of control with it to where people like actually live in fear now because of what's happened the last couple of years? I'm surprised at how many people don't see the inconsistencies. Like at the beginning, I could see where I was seeing one thing and everybody else was seeing something else because I was in the hospital. But it's been shocking how the healthcare community has just jumped on all this vaccine mandate stuff and, you know, bullying people when they come in the ER because they didn't take the vaccine and now they have COVID. Um, it was just, it's just disgusting to me how people are not seeing the inconsistencies because you hear one thing and two weeks later, it's disproved by the same person that gave the recommendation and they give a new recommendation and then it's disproved again, but people are still listening to them. And I, I just like common sense is just gone out of our country. Yeah, it definitely has. I mean, you could pretty much tie that, that Helsinki syndrome, something <laughs> along those lines. <laughs> You could, yeah. tie, you could tie it just about to any narrative that's going on right now, domestic and foreign, including COVID. Well, and, and then uh, you see medical professionals, supposed medical professionals, hmm. who are going with, running with the information that everybody that's in the hospital right now is unvaccinated and like the pandemic of the unvaccinated thing. And what are your thoughts on medical professionals pushing a narrative in lieu of what's actually going on? I mean, I think everything always boils down to money. Like, the elites that we don't really know exactly which elites are involved in this manipulation of the system. We know pharmaceuticals are involved. We right. know our government's involved. We know Facebook is involved. Um, social media. It's just disgusting how you hear the same thing over and over again. Like you don't care about other people if you don't get the vaccine. Well, that started right when the vet, literally I could have gotten the first dose practically of the vaccine and to decline that you had, and this is in the end of 2020. So this is less than a year into the pandemic. They're telling us if we don't want the vaccine that was very clearly experimental at the time, um, that we don't care about our patients. We don't care about any of the patients in the hospital and we don't care about the lives of our friends and family. And with that information, I'm willing to decline. 
And in that moment, I was like, this is so manipulative. But mm -hmm. then ever since then, it's still going. The narrative is you don't care about other people if you don't take the vaccine. And that's come down to like school sports where athletes are bullying other athletes into taking the vaccine because parents are telling kids and other parents, you know, well, that's going to hurt my child or, you know, it just does. It's literally illogical. And it's marketing that came out with the Pfizer vaccine. And, you know, hospitals are just getting behind it. But, you know, in general, they are getting money for any COVID swab that's positive. They're getting money for any COVID death. They're getting money for anybody that's put on a ventilator. It's like we should be incentivizing health. Like if you have to put somebody on the ventilator, you're losing money. Yeah. You know, there should be like some <laughs> better incentives to keep people healthy. Hmm. I agree. I also agree. And I think it's it's pretty refreshing to hear that from someone who definitely worked on the front lines of that. Courtney, we want to be able to uh, help you in your campaign and direct as much of our listening audience who's getting to know you today to support you, whether it be on social media, campaign donations, knocking on doors for you, et cetera. Can you uh, tell us about your campaign website and socials, and we'll live link them in our show description today? Yeah, thank you. My website is CourtneyGeelsForCongress.com. So if someone is local or even wants to fly in, you know, a week before the election and wants to go door knocking, they can sign up to volunteer on the website. I do think this is going to be a somewhat manual campaign. Some people can just spend a lot of money and win a campaign, but here it's going to really be spreading the tr truth manually and telling people. So I love volunteers, especially if people are local. Um, they can, anyone can also donate because everybody knows congressional campaigns are expensive. So they can also donate at CourtneyGillsForCongress.com. And I'm on Twitter, Getter, and Instagram at, at Courtney Gills and Facebook, Courtney Gills for Congress. Yeah, we're going to load those up today and we're going to get some people out there helping you out real soon. And uh, it's been awesome getting to know you. And of course, we'd like to invite you back as we get closer to the midterm elections. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It was really nice to meet you guys. Yeah, this is an America First candidate right here who's looking to represent North Carolina for in the 2022 midterm. Courtney Gills, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. We'll talk to y'all soon. All right, coming back now. Last news segment of the week. It's pretty funny. That's when I was uh, watching the news after our show. Pretty sure he's not a subscriber. <laughs> but we started a segment last week. And I entitled it The War on the Middle Class because I can't think of anything else other than that to describe it as. That's, that's what it is. Well, Tucky ran with the exact same headline as his lead-in on Friday night. Mm. And uh, I pulled a clip from it. Let's uh, hear what he had to say and see if it lines up with our narrative. I don't care about you at all. They have complete contempt for you and your interests. Notice they don't even bother to apologize to you for what they're about to do to you and your family, mm. which will change your life. We're not overstating it. Now, who are they? The first two men you saw in that montage were Democrats. The third was Lindsey Graham. We'll let you decide what he is, apart from utterly loathsome, obviously. <laughs> but we have to tell you that virtually every elected Republican in Washington, D.C. is fully on board with this, which is another way of saying they are totally committed to screwing their own supposed constituency, which would be America's shrinking, desperate middle class. Those are the people who vote Republican. Correct. And this is what they get in return. No apology. Shafted. It's hard to remember a betrayal at this scale. And yes, we have been here before, by the way. We've been in conflicts with Russia for a long time. The United States traded with the Russians through the height of the Cold War, when the Soviet Union and the United States had nuclear weapons pointed right at each other, yep. and we worried one might go off. 
We traded with Joseph Stalin in the middle of his terror at the very moment he was murdering four million, yes, Ukrainians. That happened. And then we armed Stalin. We armed the Soviet army as he was killing Ukrainians. And the New York Times endorsed all of it. But now, because Putin invaded Ukraine, effectively encouraged by the Biden administration to do that, yep. which is true, because that happened, we are going to send billions of dollars to the Saudi theocracy, and then to the Iranians, and then to Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela. And at the same time, we're going to embrace green energy, which means giving the government of China complete control over a power grid here in America. Mm. That's our plan. Are you confused by it? Don't be. It's a moral victory. Let us know when you get tired of winning. <laughs> <laughs> he's had some good ones lately yeah he's been great he's been on fire he really has regardless of whether or not he's paid up or whatever uh they... yeah but i think that there's obviously a shift and what he's doing right now is really good and we need that yeah i the mean normies, it's actually. the normies the boomers mm -hmm. it's going to be uh really interesting to see if they continue to buy into it which right. is which is what my hope is, um, yeah. But that that's kind of the narrative that he took off on that he's selling the conservative base. You know, the conservative leadership is is uh, sailing their base up the river with this whole Ukraine bullshit. Yeah, I and mean, clearly pointed out a lot of interesting highlights to where our government has worked. You know, directly with the enemy in multi errors and definitely a lot of different contexts to uh you know look the other way we brought it up last week there's still you know not a lot of people touched on it and and tucker hit it but it was so briefly in the end of that montage where he was talking about the iran deal the mm -hmm. russians are brokering it for us yeah it's just it, it's wild when you really when you really think about it and it's it, scary it is and it and it's so ass backwards, just all of it. None of it makes sense at all. Well, you know what else doesn't make sense? Is when Jen Psaki feels that the reporters are being snarky with her. <laughs> and she asked them not to the other day. I believe she was getting into it with Peter Ducey. And we're going to have a couple clips of those two going back and forth over the last 48 hours. But here's the first one. Let's hear her uh, bitch and complain about the questions he's asking. <laughs> Go ahead. Thank you. Why did you guys decide to rebrand the rise in gas prices as the hashtag Putin price hike? Mm. I mean, if you want to use that on Fox, I welcome that. <laughs> I think it'll get a lot of airtime because we have heard the president warn for months the gas prices were rising because of the supply chain and because of post-pandemic demand. If you guys knew for months that this was going to be the hashtag Putin price hike, why are we just hearing that now? Well, Peter, if we go back to six months ago, I don't think anybody was predicting we would be exactly where we are as it Does relates she make to Russia her voice and Ukraine. Like that? As you know, that events Just in the world, thing. including yeah, the invasion me, by Peter. Russia of a foreign country, does uh, prompt uh, instability and volatility in the global oil markets. And there are all sorts of different issues that can impact that. That's what we're seeing now. Outside economists and analysts have conveyed and said publicly that Russia's invasion 
Russia's buildup of troops. President Putin's decision to do that very early this year led to a lot of the instability and volatility in the oil markets. You don't have to take my word for it. So therefore, if President Putin's buildup of military troops is leading to volatility and an increase in oil and prices, hence you have a Putin pump gas price pump. Okay. Oh, you right. scissor me timbers. Oh. Thank you. You and the president are both talking about. <laughs> Spit that out. You and the president are both talking about producing energy here, saying that oil and gas companies have 9,000 permits to drill now. They could be drilling right now. Would President Biden cut red tape? Oh, we called that, that possible on Tuesday as what well. What red tape needs to be cut when they have the permits, uh, they have the capacity to do it. What's holding does, them up? Does President Biden think that each of these 9,000 leases that are available have oil or gas in them? Because industry experts are saying that uh, that accusation is, is a complete red herring. Some permits are viable and some are not. And that when you say that, this represents a fundamental misunderstanding as to how this process works. Well, first of all, the nearly 60% of leased acres remain non-producing. Hmm. <sighs> yep. All Putin's fault. Mm. I'm glad Peter Ducey had taken the time to sit down and, and really break down that narrative. Because we actually, when we brought it up on Tuesday, I, I said it's much to his discredit that he did not have that follow-up question ready for her. Yeah. Because she had some smart-ass answer and she just made him shut up with it. Right. And, uh, you know, he went and did his research and uh, got it out there. You know, who always does her research as well as secretary Jen Granholm, who's <laughs> sitting cabinet member and uh, energy secretary. She's terrible. She's a problem solver. She's got the answers for everything in regards to this energy crisis we're going through. It's going to cost you about 50 K, but uh, <laughs> she's hitting it home. Let's hear it. Obviously, we have the acute issues with the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack, but looking more holistically in a macro view, how does this speed up the efforts at DOE to move in more of a renewable direction since this is going to have an impact on people at the pump? Yeah, I mean, we obviously are all in on making sure that we meet the president's goals of getting to 100 percent clean electricity by 2035 and uh, net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And, um, you know, if you drive an electric car, this would not be affecting you, clearly. Uh hmm. <laughs> you hear that, oh ladies and gentlemen? God. Everybody go out and get yourself an electric car. And that's specifically why I did not get an electric car for, for, for this new car that we bought. Because I, I think I said it last week, uh, the dealership is saying that they're, they're not even going to make hybrids anymore. They're going to go straight full electric for all their future models and it's and i'm just like wow yeah no no hard no and, yeah, and it's when no. these people are so disconnected thank god we've got some senators who sometimes say funny stuff <laughs> like lion ted to come out and quickly re yeah he was there almost within 10 minutes and, and came with a quick rebuttal let's hear it i thought it was pretty funny i love when he chimes in latest talking point is there's all these wonderful permits that just the oil companies for whatever reason don't want to drill upon now i understand that the white house's talking points are written by an 18 year old intern who's <laughs> taking freshman socialism <laughs> but it would be good to have someone who's actually worked 
in the private sector and has some awareness of how energy is produced. Energy producers will drill for oil and gas wherever it is profitable, wherever it is viable. Many of those permits are not being drilled because if you got a natural gas well that you're trying to drill, you have to have a pipeline to carry the gas from the well to, to its end users. And the Biden administration is also freezing pipelines. Yep. You've got to have mm -hmm. an environment where those resources can be profitably developed. Well... I like the 18-year-old junior staffer who's taking freshman courses in socialism. <laughs> I do, too. <sighs> but, I mean, alas, we've talked about it before. Dunking on people doesn't really solve the problem. It only oh, distracts yeah. away from the fact that their hands are kind of tied constitutionally right, right now. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where at least someone's got the ability or the balls to call it out because. Yeah. I mean, at least something. You know, and we talked about it last week. You you, you kind of were in this conversation with me as well. We're definitely feeling it in the wallets. Uh, and But I can only imagine, you know, going out to our listenership, the, the single moms and dads out there, or, you know, the people that have big families, three, four, five kids, yeah. and uh, all the stuff they have to do. You know, it... it it hasn't gotten to where, like, we're hurting, but it's just like, I told you guys earlier in the week, I think on our Tuesday show, or maybe it was last Friday, me and my wife just sat down and we're like, dang, there's like nothing left in the tank, figuratively and literally, as, as there was a year ago anymore. And, know. Uh, you know, my, my kids are getting older. Your kids are getting older. They're, they're getting involved in more activities and stuff yep. like that. I've You know, my kids are both playing two sports each. And, uh... It's big money. And, and you know, people... it all adds up. It adds up so quickly, too. People, you know, like, <clears throat> I mean, we never really had it so bad here in uh, Vegas, as bad as, like, let's say California and regards mm -hmm. to gasoline and whatnot. We never really pay attention at the pump. I mean, we're, we're pretty blessed people. We've worked really hard. You know, we've saved money and whatnot. But still, like, even now, we're like, shit, it's gotten bad over here, too. It's like, holy crap, like, five, fifty a gallon for premium in some spots and i'm used to getting gas at like 270 and being like okay cool that's not bad you know 315 or whatever fine it is what it is but i mean we don't do that much driving but we are starting to more now you know my little one is in more activities yeah. and and doing things and it's just like shit. child care is not cheap oh no at no all. His, mom's, his montessori is expensive it's yeah. like some it's some people's rent <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, my kids are, like I said, playing two sports. Their sports are like for them to do two sports each. It's in the thousands. And I know there's people probably out there like rolling their eyes saying like, yeah, you should see like the heat bill in in Ohio or how high gas prices are in Missouri. And like, dude, we get it. But I'm just giving you like examples about for us. Listen, no one myself live in Southern California. We pay more to live than probably, you know, an overwhelming majority of our listenership. But, uh, you know, I'm saying for those families in the, in the middle class that are just getting their asses kicked right now, I can't believe that. Uh, the you penny know. pinch that like literally live pay t paycheck to paycheck and budget specifically, yes. you know, they don't have that have no room to, you know, for these this inflation and these prices. It's I'm sorry if I was a sitting member of Congress right now, either in the House or Senate, I would have packed up my shit. 
when I saw this stuff going off the rails, I would have went back to my constituency and I would have told them that I can't vote. I can't participate in these votes. I mean, I don't know if that's the way it works because I'm not in politics, but, you know, there's people that abstain or, or just, you know, vote present. Uh, I wouldn't even have, I, I don't care if we were called back or not because this is an embarrassment. And, you know, I'm glad we're in such an age right now where people are keeping stat tracks on these things and, and looking what these guys are voting on and, and what's going on in committee meetings and stuff like that. You know, we saw a lot of, uh, of the younger, the sophomore house members, you know, Mass and Cawthorn got put through the ringer, but he's made a complete 180 turnaround. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's part of the good group that he's with right now. You know, the Jim Banks and, and Matt Gates of the world, Jim Jordan's kind of attaching his wagon to those guys. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's one of those things where I don't know what I would do. Like, I don't know how I could put my name in any of this stuff. Like that omnibus bill is a fucking embarrassment for our country. I know. And, uh, when you get into this whole you know, even the debate of green energy, like people that don't know about green energy, from what I could research, our technology would not even make what they're trying to do now applicable until at least 2050. And that's no, it doesn't even make any sense. It's all we all know it's a front for another money laundering slush fund. Of course, way to, you know, get rich off the backs of us and and any of the country. Yeah. And any of the real models that have shown green energy having any kind of success and it's nowhere near the natural ones, the gas, the the yeah. natural gas, the nuclear. It's when it's coinciding with those energies. It's not eliminating them. Exactly. I mean, they're literally trying to get people to get out of their fucking cars right now. Like, period. Like, like just how? abandoned when already, driving. People are, people are fucking broke already. You know, trying to get by with the with this inflation and these gas prices, people's credit is shit. How are they going to buy a freaking electric? Car? <laughs> it's yeah. such a slap in the face. It's disgusting. Yeah, well, you know, I, I jumped on uh, We the People's podcast on Tuesday and uh, we were talking about it. Like, if you go and do a little research on the cost of used cars now, like, mm. mm-hmm. like maybe I just, I just went through this. A fully loaded like 2017 Nissan is like thirty thousand dollars, like a, yes. a, a four door yes. sedan. Yeah, for use, and it's crazy because when we were looking at cars, we ended up buying new. But you're still, regardless whether it's new or used, use you're paying way higher premium. Yeah, but even for new, it's at least depending if you're going luxury, but not even even if it's like you know American made, <clears throat> it's at least thirty forty thousand. Yeah, 100%, and it's just out of control. We broke it down the simplest way possible. So I saw a really good, it might have been Steve Cortez, $100 bill during the Trump administration right now is now equal to $165 and change during the Biden administration. That's how much money it cost to equal that $100 bill during the Trump administration. Unbelievable. Just imagine that across the board for everything, like everything, clothes, food, childcare, gas, uh, energy to heat your home. Like you name it, you're paying almost 70% more everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just, we haven't seen it peak yet either. I'm telling you, gas prices are going to go up another buck or two. Uh, yeah. the, the, the shelves, well, if there's food in the store are, are going to be double the price, you know, by the time this peaks. And, and a lot of that depends on how much of the, more Russia's going to do in Ukraine, but there's a lot of other things behind the scenes. Remember, and, and we're going to get into it in our last couple clips. I'm going to let Antoinette pick which ones we do first. Um, <laughs> what do you want? You want double Ducey to end the news portion of our week, or do you want double Biden to start the end of the news portion of our week? 
Would you rather start or end with Biden? Let's uh, let's end with Biden. We're going to end with Biden. So we're going Ducey first. Yeah. And we're going to stick on that Russian narrative. And what we've been talking about now that this has been going on since day one, literally January 20th, 2021, 70 executive orders, Oof. which started this downhill spiral. Let's hear Peter Ducey get into it with Jen Psaki. The president's statement blames the Putin price hike. Are you guys just going to start blaming Putin for everything <laughs> until the midterms? Well, we've seen the price of gas go up at least 75 cents since President Putin lined up troops on the border of Ukraine. What about and, the $2 before that? Last month, the statement didn't mention the Putin price hike. It mentioned inflation because of the pandemic. Why hmm. is that? Well, Peter, last year, last two years, He's there was a pan- global pandemic. Everyone who's a global economist have all agreed that that has been the biggest contributor to date of inflation because of the impact on the supply chain. Obviously, global events impact the economy, the global economy, as well as global inflation. And the uh, price hikes as a result that have escalated over the course of time of President Putin's further invasion of uh, the impact on the global oil markets are, of course, having an impact. So just for our listening audience, when they stutter, they're just completely flat out pathologically lying. Yeah, they and they're just winging it, making up shit, pulling shit out of their ass. (laughs) They don't know what to say anymore. Do you remember from the uh, 2020 presidential election campaign, the Biden meme when he's in the Corvette uh, with the aviators on and people turned it into (laughs) Get it, loser. We're, get it, loser. We're, we're going to D.C., those memes. <laughs> yeah. That Photoshopped shoot, that well, was not even his body. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Believe it or not, Peter Ducey brought it up at the end of that press conference yesterday. and uh, Oh, did he? Oh, yeah, he did. I, I, I remember now. I, I thought it was a pretty good one because, you know, Everyone Jen Psaki... I'll give her credit for one thing. She could usually see when the shit's coming because as soon as they're done with the question, she's like, well, for your information, Peter, (laughs) I'll tell you the facts, which you don't report it for Fox News. Let me get into this for you. But uh, she she wasn't really ready for this one. I know. This this is probably the funniest clip of the day. About electric vehicles. You guys are pushing electric vehicles today. This is a president who always talks about the power of our example. Mm -hmm. Does he own an electric vehicle? Presidents (laughs) of the United States don't do a lot of driving. He's posted videos where he's revving the engine of his Corvette in Wellington. He owns cars. <laughs> and he also has driven electric vehicles as president, as, as to give a model to the rest of the country. Does he own one? I think the president's record on this is clear, Peter. Presidents of the United States, current, and when they are no longer, typically are not doing a lot of driving. Go ahead. <laughs> Deucey was like, oh, come on. fucking around with his socks, trying not to laugh the whole time. I think he was like scratching himself, but he's like, but does he own one? <laughs> she got so low on the podium and right up on the mic she's like let me tell you something peter most presidents don't drive in case you didn't know (laughs) yeah they've got they've got what what was it when uh biden did that one first uh like little test drive thing he got caught with the you know like the what they call them those student teacher driver double wheel cars yes and the guy (laughs) his secret service agent was driving the car yeah he was just holding on the wheel (laughs) (sighs) What are we going to do with this guy? Oh, man. Speaking of 10% for the big guy. And remember, Antoinette picked it. We could have ended on that comical note, but we're going to end on 
Joe Byron yeah. instead. He's speaking Sorry, today, guys. Friday. Um, remember, we heard a lot of our, our Congress people, how dare I, talk about how everybody wanted to get out of D.C. because there's this big fucking party in Philadelphia this weekend. The, uh, like the, it's called the um, House Democrats, I don't know, sleepover or some bullshit. What? Anyways, Joe Biden's speaking. And uh, he was actually speaking throughout the course of the show. I pulled off two of the ones that I thought were absolutely outrageous. Uh, the first one's going to reflect. So we'll take it chronologically. Let's talk pandemic first. And uh, he's going to speak for all of us right now and say exactly what we didn't want to do throughout the course of COVID. Let's hear this one. So here you had the unusual situation. During the pandemic, people had money to spend. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't do, Hot they, didn't want, they didn't want to go to restaurants. They didn't want to go out and go on oh. vacations. They didn't spend money on leisure activities. So they wanted to spend it on other things, on hard goods, home improvements, televisions, additions to their homes. The very products are slowed down by disruption of the supply chain because there weren't people cutting two by fours because <laughs> of COVID. They were shut down. Stop I could go on a list. You all know this. I'm preaching to the choir here. So what happened? Prices went up exponentially. Did he just say people weren't sawing two-by-fours because they were closed down, but then said home improvements and additions to their right. houses in the sentence directly before that? Exactly. My, listen, my dad and my brother are contractors. They okay. were sawing two-by-fours the entire time, and they were considered essential workers. So, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, neither do I. But he did double down on this is all Putin's fault. In our last audio clip of the day, end of the week, let's hear him before they uh, quickly ushered him off the stage, not being able to answer any questions. Or he shit his pants. Mm, probably that, too. Big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. From the moment he put his over 150,000 troops on the Ukrainian border. It was literally 15 days The price ago. of gasoline in January went up 75 cents. False. And Putin began amassing troops along the border. And guess what? The world took notice. And those of you who work in the business know that the market anticipated. Prices went up more. And then Putin invaded. Make no mistake, inflation is largely the fault of Putin. I love, you know, Republicans <laughs> saying it's Biden's gas pipeline. By, by Biden said he's going to stop the Keystone pipeline. And I did. Bye-bye. And that's the reason prices went up. Folks, let's get something straight here. The Keystone Pipeline was two years away and had been 2% finished. Give me a break. Give me a break. Leader of the free world, ladies and gentlemen. Listening to shit like that on a regular basis, I mean, our listenership doesn't even need to know it, but that's why leaders of countries like UAE and Saudi Arabia didn't answer the fucking phone when Joe Biden called to talk to them about gas prices and what's going on in Ukraine right now. They refused to speak to him. Well, yeah, I mean, why would they? It, it makes absolute no sense. Every, they're doing everything they can to just make the problem so much worse. And most of them don't even believe he's the president, the legitimate president. You know, well, yeah, we did have the uh, delegate from the Russian Federation last week say that Joe Biden won a fraudulent election and they performed a coup to overturn the rightfully elected president of the United States before the United Nations, which I thought was absolutely fucking based. Um, But here's the thing. You know, we talked to Beth Van Dyne this morning, our first sitting congresswoman who came on the show with us, and it was awesome. Uh, She was hopeful 
that the stars have in the line for the radical progressive liberals and they're not just going to tie Joe Biden's foot to the gas pedal and continue to burn it down going into the midterms. But unfortunately, from all the stuff we laid out for you today, it's kind of not hard. I mean, what else is the plan? Right. What else is the plan? That the the radical progressive libs want us to be Germany immediately. They want a police state that's completely green, that's accepting migrants by the millions from all over the world with ridiculously high taxes, and anytime something happens, they lock it the fuck down like they did with COVID again. Mm-hmm. And it's terrifying. It is. It's like they just they rather double down than admit they're that they're then that they're wrong for one, like you know, the regular everyday ultra leftist. Yes. And then you've got their leaders they look up to that their entire goal is just to destroy this country. Absolutely. Everything that Trump did. I, I mean, few. it's only going to get worse before it gets better, but I, I do think that in the end, we will win. And Oh, we're going to. We're going to see a referendum yeah. like they claimed was going to happen to Donald Trump, and he wound up getting 11-plus million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. Yeah. We're going to see that magnified in these think- midterm elections. The only goal is right now, make sure we're lining up the right candidates. We 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 got to get away from the establishment. Yeah. We, we, we got to get away from these guys. You know, we've seen, listen, the, the absolute meltdown, and, and, I, and I wanted to play clips from it, but I really couldn't figure out how to put it into, like, a news segment. I know you've seen it, uh, Antoinette. You know, there, there's a weird demographic going on right now in the America First, you know, agenda, too. There was people going after Joe Kent a couple weeks ago saying that, like, the establishment's trying to buy him, this, that, and the other thing. And then he comes yeah. on our show and lays out the whole plan about how Kevin McCarthy's funneling money to uh, Herrera Butler's campaign in Washington 3. Well... Joe Kent's been riding it out. Joe Kent's been doing an amazing time on the news cycle. He's joined us four times. He's like a bi-weekly guest on Tucker Carlson now, giving hot takes on stuff that he's got experience in. And Mm -hmm. last night, Joe Kent earned his endorsement from Donald Trump, fully endorsed the little white Donald Trump, I love this candidate blurb came out, and and Joe Kent deserves it. You know, we, we see the same thing with, like, I was talking to Antoinette off the air with it. Robbie Starbucks going to, like, a awesome event in in virginia this week a campaign event for him it's hosted by Rand paul and it's going to have madison cawthorn there and a whole bunch of other you know of the top conservative people gavin wax fish burr is going to be there amanda millis is going to be there those are the people you want working behind the scenes to make sure that this country's on the fucking right track you look at some of these establishment republicans and rhinos that are running in these races it's our job to go and call them out listen we already saw if we don't get motivated enough we lost probably Three or four solid America First candidates who are better than the people who are seated in Congress right now in the Texas primary. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You know, yeah. you got a couple big races that we just can't screw around on. You know, I'm thinking like uh, Alaska Senate. You've got uh, Nancy Mace's primary challenger in South Carolina. One is that girl Arrington, the the real deal. We've reached out to them. She's going to be on the show soon, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna figure out if she's just not a bait and switch of Nancy Mace, which we don't need. And, uh, you know, a couple others. And we haven't gotten any negative feedback from the people that we've been having on our show. There's, you know, people extremely vet us before they come on our show, and we extremely vet them. You know, people who I'm unsure of, we we talk about it as a team all week, 
in our group chats and stuff like that. And then we float it to other people. Listen, I've, I've had a couple people on it. People reach out. They're like, oh, man, these people are bullshit. I heard they used to be this or they used to be that or they voted for Hillary. And then I could just try to kind of walk them through it. Be like, hey, listen, my friend, there was a point in time where a lot of people in the conservative movement voted for John McCain and Mitt yep. Romney in, in, you know, consecutive elections. Is voting for someone like Hillary Clinton not as just as it's just as bad. Right. So you got to kind of get. Okay, people have changed. What's the change? What are they doing? What's the FaceTime? What's their campaign pillars? And we really try to get that stuff out here for you and tell the interviews to let you hear their best of the best. Right. But, uh, you know, we also give you the uh, harder questions that you're not going to hear on a lot of those uh, legacy media shows either. Mm-hmm. You know, we had um, Carolina Serrano on Tuesday, right? She got a little uncomfortable when we asked her about leadership in the House, right? Yeah. I mean, we made her squirm a little bit, but here's the thing. Would you rather not hear... That because she worked in Washington, D.C. before, she's seen both sides of that coin, and she knows that at some point there's going to have to be a middle ground between the establishment Republicans and uh, the America First movement. Because, listen, it would be nice for 100 seats for 100 years. But if that doesn't happen, I'm seeing a lot more forecasters, political analysts talking about 2022 will be the start of the supermajority that we could finally attain in 2024, which is fine. But as long as we get enough to stop the Biden agenda now, that's going to be more than enough. I, I do think we're going to have sweeping winds of the House, something 70-ish. And we really got to get over that threshold in the Senate. We got to get it 53-plus. I see us at probably 52 right now if you take Georgia and uh, Nevada as two wins for the America First movement with Herschel Walker and Adam Lexall. That'll put us at 52 because we look at all the seats and they seem pretty defendable. I was a little bit nervous about what was going on down in Oklahoma this week when uh, Inafre decided to not run for re-election at 87, but Trump world was ready to have somebody that served all four years in the administration jump in there. So as soon as Alex Gray gets his contact information up for media, we're going to try and, you know, bring him on the show and let you guys listen to him and see how you guys feel about him running in tandem with Jackson Lamire down there. So I think we do have a lot of good things to look forward to and, and we're going to continue to cover it. But, uh, what we're going to be covering now is having our last guest of the day, and he is a former Navy SEAL and America First candidate, Eli Crane, heavily endorsed by Boris Epstein when he was on the show a few weeks ago. And as he's getting ready to join the chat now, we'll get him in. All right, joining us last today, he's a former Navy SEAL. He's the founder and CEO of Bottle Breacher, and he's the Republican candidate looking to represent Arizona 2 in the upcoming midterm elections. Eli Crane, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, guys, thanks. I appreciate it. Oh, no, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going on your end? Everything's going good. I mean, it, I think we're in a pretty good spot, and uh, it's definitely a marathon, but, you know, we continue to work at it every single day. Yeah, we've seen you uh, working pretty hard, and uh, like I talked to you off air, when we had Boris on the show a couple weeks ago, he uh, brought your name up as one of the most America First candidates out there, so I immediately reached out on that advice, and uh, here you are. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, we've been making products in the USA for a long time. Uh, we started making products in the USA long before Donald Trump ever came down that escalator. And I'm definitely glad, um, you know, that Mr. Trump decided to serve this country in, in the fashion that he did. And I know he woke a lot of people up to a lot of the, uh, I would say, errors that we have made and how we have, you know, many ways put this country last. And, uh, you know, I remember when we started this small company in our one car garage in uh, Point Loma, San Diego, 
that was something that was, uh, I was in the Navy at the time. And that was something that was near and dear to my heart was, uh, manufacturing stuff here. Um, because you could just, you could just tell, um, how much of it had gone overseas at times, how hard it was to find, you know, quality manufacturing. And so, um, we've been able to keep our manufacturing in the States, which is something we're really proud of. Yeah, that's a, something I definitely want to stick on real quick. Now, now you served in the Navy and okay. you're, you're a successful business owner and now you're in politics. Something changed. I know you had mentioned things. Donald Trump brought some of that America first uh, agenda with him and, and made it the forefront and kind of like one of his biggest campaign platforms. And that was bringing stuff back to stateside. You know, people that chose to continue to not do America first business would be taxed and tariffed, uh, including some of our domestic uh, manufacturers and stuff like that, which I think was amazing. It was one of the strongest things that he did, and it made the economy just flourish throughout the account. But what was the trigger there that said, you want to know what? I'm doing a lot to to be an America first person, but I, I need to do more. And now you're you're getting into the political arena, which which is pretty vicious. So I, I think it's a big change. Yeah, I think um, I've been pretty frustrated for a long time, like a lot of Americans, um, just watching, you know, the state of things. Um, but the, I think the biggest trigger for me was the 2020 election. You know, I just um, I was just blown away with how many, you know, just with the uh, optics of that entire thing, how many things were changed, how many things um you know, didn't look or smell right and how few leaders actually stood up and said, Hey, let's take another look at this. Let's get down into the nitty gritty. And I just saw a lot, a lack of backbone. I mean, at the time there wasn't as much evidence, you know, of fraud or cheating or, you know, like some of the stuff that we see there, you know, see now, but I was just really disappointed with how many, you know, tens of millions of, of Americans were crying out like, Hey, that didn't seem right. Can we take another look at that? And I was just blown away at, at, at politicians and leaders that I thought were strong, that I thought would, you know, raise the flag and say, hey, let's take another look at that. That didn't. And I was just like, man, this if we don't if we don't have confidence in our elections, if, if there's this many people that distrust the results and this few leaders that will actually stand up for them and say, Hey, I don't know if there was foul play or not, but my constituents and the people that I serve and represent are really pissed off and really um, frustrated. And they really have questions and concerns about that election. Um, you know, this country is done. It's yeah. a, you know, it's a democratic Republic. And, you know, if we, if we no longer get to rep, you know, pick and choose our representatives and we no longer have confidence in our elections, then you see what happens like in Georgia where people just quit, coming out they, they they're like well my vote doesn't matter anyway and so that was kind of that was kind of the trigger point for me as somebody who swore an oath to protect and defend this country from foreign and and domestic threats you know watching and it, it wasn't clearly it wasn't just the election i mean there's so many things in this country um that are just in my opinion they're they're being destroyed on purpose yes and I know a lot of people struggle to get there because when you when when you come to that conclusion, the follow up is, OK, if it is being destroyed from within. What can I do about it or what should I do about it? And most of us don't want to do anything about it because we're so we're so complacent. We're so blessed. 
We're so wealthy. We have so much freedom that most of us just want to go about our lives and watch our Netflix shows and go on vacation, you know, and, and provide for our families. And, and I get it. I, I love all that stuff too. But at the end of the day, um, I think we've gotten way too complacent. I believe that there are people at the highest levels of our country who don't love this country. They want to destroy it. Um, it's death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. They try and manipulate and mislead us, you know, um, into thinking that, you know, it's just, oh, this is just politics is normal. It's not just politics is normal. Um, and if we don't get some fighters in there, if we don't get some men and women that, you know, have some common sense that love this country that were, are, were and are willing to die for it, I, I believe this country is done. And so that's that's why I'm running. Yeah, we're definitely getting close to a tipping point, especially with the radical, liberal, progressive agenda that this current administration has, uh, you know, brought to their way. The forefront of how they operate. Yeah, just how they've dumped it on the country. You can't find, like, an outlet in anything to do with the United States right now that's not on fire, whether it's the economy, uh, you know, energy, education, health care, foreign policy the border, you name it. And then you, you get, you mentioned the election integrity stuff. We we've done so not as much as we need to do heading into the midterms to kind of get that stuff straightened out. I hope, uh, you know, a lot of these candidates that we have on, they're talking about using the Virginia model and just overwhelming the polls on election day and kind of trying to break the matrix that way. We're, we're hoping it's a combination of that. And then a lot of people getting involved at the actual polls that are going to, you know, make the, the elections a lot more fortified than they were in uh, 2020. So we'll have to see it from there. But uh, what are some of the big issues that you're looking to tackle now uh, as part of your campaign platform that you're rolling out? You know, definitely the the border is a big one for us down here in Arizona. I mean, and, and, and when I say when I say that there are people within the highest levels of our government that are trying to tear it down and destroy it, uh, I want to I want to get into that for a second, especially when we talk about the border, because let's be honest, guys, there, there are folks that drink the Kool-Aid and watch the CNN and they, they're just so busy that they just kind of regurgitate and believe what they're told. But the people that are running this stuff, they're not that stupid. Okay. They're just not that stupid. They know that they know that if you let, you know, 3 million illegals into your country, 2 million illegals into your country, you're not vetting who comes into the country. Border patrol agents are telling you about the drugs and the sex trafficking coming into your country. Um, the cartel members that are coming in, the you know, the gangsters, even sometimes terrorists that are coming into your country. These people aren't that stupid. All right. And so um, that is something that will always be near and dear to those of us that live on the border. We see it every day. We understand it. And it's you know, there's there's other issues that come along with it as well. Like there's a lot of folks that come through the southern border that are driving around in cars that aren't insured. And then if you get in a car wreck with them, you know, you're you're in a tight, you're in a tight spot because they don't have insurance. And there's a lot of other things that go along with, it's not just, you know, sex trafficking or drugs coming over the border, but, you know, um, there's a lot of other issues that come along with that. There's a lot of strain on our medical system that comes along with that. Our emergency rooms get, you know, filled up. Um, And then somebody has got to pay for that. Right. And so, and oftentimes it's your tax dollars that pay for that. And so, you know, the border is a big deal to me. Obviously, inflation is a big deal to me. Um, you know, it, it is a tax on the American citizens. 
And I think that's one of the reasons it's, it's good that we have business owners um, that, you know, are running towards the sound of this political gunfire, because in business, if you have a bad week, if you have a bad month or a bad year, you can't just print money. You have to figure it out. You have to, you have to make cut cutbacks. And that's, you know, that's something that um, as a business owner, I bring a little bit more fiscal responsibility to the table than, you know, a lot of other people. And so, um, you know, those are a couple of things. Obviously, election integrity is a big deal to me. That probably will never be handled at the federal level. Um, hopefully, you know, it'll be handled at the state level, but that doesn't mean I can't use my voice and this platform to sound the alarm and to let people know that, hey, this is a real no kidding issue. And if we don't get this under control ASAP, you know, the American way of life as we know it is done and you will no longer be able to represent, you know, pick and choose who represents you. Um, and for those of you guys who don't know, um, there's a there's going to be a documentary coming out later this year with Dinesh D'Souza called yep. 2000 Mules. Some of my friends were um, in the middle of that investigation and it is it, it'll blow your mind when you guys learn more about it. Basically, they used the same technique that the FBI used um, in the January 6th, uh, you know, event to uh, round up people in that investigation. They, they, the FBI geofenced the Capitol, and it's, it's a digital tool that they used to see whose cell phones were pinging in and around the Capitol, and that's how they started their investigation. All right. Well, the same is my friends did the same thing with the ballot boxes all around the country. They geofenced the ballot boxes so they could see who was pinging in and around, you know, multiple ballot boxes. And it's, um, you know, it'll blow your mind when, when you think, when you see the evidence and the data, how many of these they're calling them traffickers were hitting multiple ballot boxes during the election in Maricopa alone, um, you know, right up the street, you know, from us, you know, we hit, we had one we had one ballot trafficker that hit 70 ballot boxes within a you know, a, like a week and a half period. Oof. And there were over 200 traffickers in Maricopa alone. And that's only because they the standard that they set was a trafficker had to hit 10 or more um, boxes. If they would have lowered the standard to five, which is still illegal, they would have had thousands yeah. or even, even more than that. And, and this is the type of stuff that's going on. And I know there's, there's a lot of conspiracy theory, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories out there, but there is real evidence and hard data that has been turned over to the attorney general and has been turned over to others. And there, there, there is real fraud and real um, vulnerability with our elections. And I hope people, I hope people understand that and how, how important it is that we take, take care of that issue. So that's, you know, that's a big deal to me. I'm definitely um, a pro law enforcement, tough on crime candidate. I think that as we see around the country, we see um, a lot of, uh, in my opinion, poor legislation. Oh yeah. A focus on, you know, um, a focus on offenders or criminals um, to try and make their lives easier and better, as opposed to a focus on trying to keep our streets safe and um, victims and the people, just everyday law-abiding citizens, um, safe in their own communities. And and I think that you're seeing the result of it. And you know, you've seen a crime wave run across the U.S. in in, in most of our big cities. And to me, that's you know, I mean, you watch the videos in California in broad daylight. 
and in other places where they've made it to where you have to you have to steal a thousand dollars worth of uh you know material or product before you can even you know face consequences for it and these people are just going into the into the malls into these shopping centers and they're just looting at will knowing that there will be no consequences for what they're doing and you know that's something that uh that's that's a problem you know and uh you know those are those are a few of the issues that are you know really important to me but it it almost it almost becomes overwhelming when you look at all the different fronts that <laughs> this country and our way of life is being attacked on uh, you can't uh frame it any better than that and, and no. it was a perfect lead in from what we said um, something I definitely want to touch on with you. I mean, uh, you know, being a former Navy SEAL and stuff, you got to have some opinions and some hot takes on what's going on between Russia and Ukraine right now. Maybe not in theater, but the way that some people in our government, some of our elected officials, we've had everybody from like the biggest names in, in, in talk news all the way down to some of our senators and even the Speaker of the House calling for unprovoked U.S. military intervention. Uh, like deploying A-10, sending in uh, specialized teams and units and, uh, you know, giving weapons to other countries to use in, a, in like a proxy context to kind of instigate and inflame the situation that's already pretty hot over there before. How, how do you think like our military was doing so well under President Trump? You know, we, we built back so much stuff. We got we aged out all those vehicles, tanks, planes. We completely revolutionized the military. We got a whole bunch of new ships built under his administration. And then we, we come into this now where we have the absolute worst leadership. You know, we've had so many people come on here uh, who were in the Trump administration, everybody from Cash Patel, Casey Wardinsky, people who definitely worked in the government and, and did stuff in the Department of Defense and with the military who said, those guys that are running it now between Austin, Millie, you know, John Kirby over at the Pentagon, those are like the fourth, fifth, sixth picks that were in government when Donald Trump was the president. And now they're at the top of the chain. What do you feel about what's going on with the uh, the armed forces right now? I mean, it's terrifying. It really is. And I think you see the result of it. You, you don't have to look any further than what happened in Afghanistan. And yeah. that's what that's what concerns me. You know, the the world is on fire. Um, you know, there's there's an opposite through, you know, to the old saying, you know, peace through strength. And I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing chaos in the face of competence um, and weakness, incompetence and, and weakness. And uh, our military, even though we still have the, in my opinion, the best military in the world, the finest equipment in the world, and, you know, the finest warfighters in the world, they're being led by um, the politically correct. And those that are, those who are elevated and promoted because they'll drink the Kool-Aid and they'll, they'll, you know, basically do, do what they're told to do, as opposed to looking out for, um, you know, the, uh, the fighting forces that they're supposed to be leading. And it, it just drives me, it drives me crazy because when I look at the other countries around the world that, especially the ones that are becoming adversaries like Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, those countries aren't doing what we're doing. They are not focused on, um, making their militaries as inclusive as possible. They're not, focus on political correctness. Um, they're focused on being the biggest, baddest war fighting machines that they possibly can be. And, and when your focus turns from that to um, equality and, and fairness in the military, the military is not supposed to be fair. Okay. It's not supposed to be fair at all. It's supposed to, you're su it's supposed to be about putting, putting forth the baddest, the best, the brightest and the baddest and, 
and and the most lethal out there. That's what it's supposed to be about because it's not it's it's not a social experiment. It's not a game. It's life and death. And when I see our military being turned into what it is, it, it breaks my heart. It pisses me off. And it honestly, it's quite it's quite scary as well because I know. I know the threats that we face out there that are not focused on that stuff. And because of that, they have an advantage and an upper hand on us. And uh, it's definitely not something that I like to see. Yeah. Now they're too worried about how does the word lethal make you feel? (laughs) Right. No, exactly. And I can tell you, there's still a lot of amazing men and women who are war fighters in our country that are still doing that job. And, um, you know, but we we do have a leadership problem within the military, and when I when I hear, um, you know, General Milley, you know, before Congress talking about how he wants to learn more about white rage, I'm just like, are you kidding? Me? Are you kidding me? Or, you know, these guys that you know, you see transcripts of them talking to their counterparts, saying, hey, you know, if if we're gonna attack you, I'll I'll give you a heads up prior. I'm I'm just like, what? You know, who? Which side are which side are you on here? And you know. It just, it is terrifying when you, when you've seen the inside of it and how political it's getting. I remember before I got out of the SEAL teams, there were times where we were doing these um, things. It it was called Navy Knowledge Online. We would have to routinely do surveys and tests. You know, some of them were, I think, valid and valuable, and some of them were just plain nonsense. But it got, you know, it got to the point where it got it got to be so political and so bureaucratic that there were times where you were like, "Hey, I'm supposed to be a Navy SEAL. I'm supposed to be proficient with all these weapons, with all this gear, and all these environments, and I'm spending half of my day trying to fill out some stupid survey that, you know, is it's a canned survey. We just did it, you know, four months ago, and and I'm I'm losing the skills that I'm supposed to have because I'm doing all of this nonsense, and it's just. It, you know, it is it is concerning when you start to see the focus go in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. It doesn't seem like it's too outside of the box or or any kind of illogical thinking there. Yeah, we're gonna make you sit here and do NKO courses instead of you know shooting. Wait, yep. you, you mean because that's important? Pronouns are more important than the range now. Oh yeah, everybody loves range day though. But who doesn't love pronouns? That's true. There are a lot of them. Um, Eli, we we've had a ton of former. Well, the operators that are, have all been on, these special forces, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, et cetera. You know, we had Tony Cowden on not too long ago. Eric Greitens and Joe Ken have mentioned it too. All you guys, he said in some context, stay in contact. You all talk to each other. And uh, I think it was uh, Tony Cowden brought up, he was on with us like two weeks ago, that there's over 50 uh, former special forces, Green Beret, you know, uh, people that fought counterterrorism on the ground in places like Syria and North Africa, Navy SEALs, obviously, like yourself. And that you guys, for the first time ever, have the opportunity to send so many of you guys to the Beltway uh, that there's, combined with the ones that are already there who have served in that context, to kind of start like an operator's caucus when they get to to D.C. and really start holding a lot of the things that our elected officials in regards to the military. I'll give you, for instance, when Lindsey Graham goes on Sean Hannity and starts calling for the assassination of Vladimir Putin last week, you know, on national television, which is just a complete embarrassment. Um, 
But to really start holding these guys accountable and really doing whatever they can until the 2024 election to really make the military as great as it was under the Trump administration again. Does that kind of sound like something that uh, is encouraging to you to see that many people, you know, over 50 running for House seats is just an incredible number of people who have just had it like you had and are jumping in the ring to uh, to, to get this country back in the, going in the right direction. You know, it does. It does give me hope. And that's the cool thing about it. Clearly to your viewers and your listeners, this wasn't some like coordinated effort where we all called each other up and, you know, um, started disseminating information and, okay, you run over here, I'll run over here. This was, this was a bunch of, this was a bunch of folks who were willing to die for this country that recognized that the biggest threat to this country right now is within. And most of us don't want to do this. Most of us wanted to serve where we wanted to serve and we wanted to go on and live the American dream. I yeah. think it's, it's why you haven't seen this phenomenon happen, you know, at other times throughout. I mean, cause keep in mind, we've had these wars going on. We had multiple wars going on in the U S for 20 years. Yeah. So, so you've had a bunch of war fighters coming in and out of the military for a couple decades. Now, this is the first time I've ever seen anything like this, where you have so many operators who, who recognize the threat because this is one of the things that we are trained to do is to recognize threats and, and everybody just individually realizing how dire it's gotten and, and that we are at that inflection point and realizing that, Hey, we've, we fought for this country. We've lost friends to this country. Some of the people running have lost limbs for this country, you know, and it's like, we're not going to let this fall on our watch. And so regardless of what happens out here in AZ2 and whether Eli Crane ever becomes a congressman as a voter and a patriot and a dad and a husband, it gives me a lot of hope seeing a lot of these guys like Joe Kent, um, you know, and, and others running for these seats of influence because I know they'll make a difference. And I, I will tell you this too, guys, like just because you were a veteran, just because you were special forces doesn't mean that you're going to be a good congressman or a good leader. I'll admit that. But what I will say is, is that if at one point in your life you were willing to die for it, it makes it a lot harder to sell it out. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest problems we have right now with our politicians is they get there. Somebody takes them aside, promises them the world say, you know, says, hey, you know, Eli, you vote a certain way and I'll take care of you on the back end, man. You'll, you, you know, you'll have a golden parachute on your way out or a lobbying job or whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want. And it's just like it's it's sad to watch because there's there's no way that there's no like I was saying, I don't think that there's any way that a lot of these folks, except for just being completely selfish, would vote on a lot of the legislation that you see them voting on if they weren't bought bought and paid for or corrupted and and that's what's hard to watch there's so there's a bigger picture out here outside of outside of your own wealth and i think a lot of people just think well oh everybody else is doing it so i can do it too and you know it's the united states of america come on guys nothing's ever going to happen here it's the greatest country in the history of the world you know sure we i can take a little bit i can skim a little bit off the top and you know we'll be just fine everybody's doing it and it's just like at some point even the United States of America can only, you know, up, you know, stand up to so, you know, that much corruption. At some point, there's a tipping point, and I think we're getting really close to it. And we, we've got to, we've, man, we've got to, we've got to turn this thing around. And it, the, the normal, the usual candidates, I'm sorry to tell you, they're not going to get it done. They're just not.
No, you're 100% right. And it's like you, you kind of let into it before you, uh, you know, described it like you just did. But it's almost like you guys were, were instinctively triggered uh, based off what you guys have done, what you guys have seen, what you guys have sacrificed for it to be like it, – it, it sounds, you know, maybe cliche or maybe exaggerating a little bit, but this is kind of the same situation domestically where we're going as a nation figuratively. And once we get past that point of, okay, the figuratively part is over, then you're literally at a point of no return. And, and you guys are doing one hell of a job getting out there and uh, getting your names out there and trying to get this country back on the right track. You know, this has been awesome having you jump on with us today, and we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. We know between, you know, family, the business, and now this awesome campaign you're running – uh, you've got absolutely no time, and now our listenership's going to be able to come out and support you. Can you tell us where we can find you across social medias and then your uh, campaign website? Yeah, guys, thank you. I appreciate it. So EliForArizona.com, that's EliForArizona.com is our campaign website. If you guys want to help share that around, go support us. We, we'd love it. We'd appreciate it. Um, and uh, just on social media, it's Eli crane underscore ceo on all of my platforms if you want to go check check me out there man we really really appreciate it yeah we'll live link them in the show description today and then we'll cut up a clip of this interview and uh share it individually over the weekend as well we definitely want to look to uh have you back between now and the midterm elections eli and uh like i said it was our pleasure hosting today the man who's looking to represent arizona too is the conservative candidate there eli crane thanks for joining us thanks guys god bless you appreciate it Not too shabby. I kind of was nervous flying solo in the studio for the back end of the show. Noah got dispatched to work, but uh, if I had to pick a Chewbacca, you would you make a mighty fine one, Antoinette. <laughs> That's not a Chewbacca laugh. <laughs> I can't do it. But you know what I can do? I can tell you all the places you can listen for steak for breakfast. You can follow the show on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, and now via the Roku app on the Patriot Podcast Network. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast podcast. Show credits. Of course, they're going out to our guests who joined us today. We had three amazing America First candidates and our first sitting congresswoman. Beth Van Dyne, who's representing Texas 24. We also were joined by Courtney Geals. North Carolina 4, and Eli Crane running in Arizona 2. They were all amazing. In addition to that, we have our internet friends. Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, spoiler alert, John Backman of Newsmax, Mike Crispy of Red, White, and Truth, Christina Bob of OAN, who's got an interview with Donald Trump this weekend, airing Saturday. Check it out on OAN. And of course, Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of The National File. Friends, don't forget to go and uh, throw some money at our partners. The only thing you do by supporting them is, number one, love America. But more importantly, you help make small American businesses great again. My pillow, Overstock sales. Pretty uncommon for MyPillow, but we'll take it. Pillows, slippers, robes. What else we got? Mike Lindell's book, free gift coming with every order. Christian-themed pillows. You name it, he's got it over there. And don't forget Giza Dream Everything. Enter code STEAK at checkout for big, big savings there. The website's mypillow.com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things related to headphones can be found at Odyssey. I'm wearing Noah's right now because I'm a man in the comm, and uh, these are just as nice as mine, his one of ones. 
Get over there and get your ears taken care of. Odyssey.com, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay ready to get your holsters. Melted Kydex done right. Um, if you want a picture of uh, Jen Psaki making a complaining face when Peter Ducey is asking her if Joe Biden owns electric cars, they'll do it for you, and they'll put it on a concealed carry holster. Cranking out orders better than ever before. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. It's a pretty simple equation. You buy it. You shake it. You rub it. You smoke it. You drizzle a little barbecue sauce on it, and then you throw it in your mouth. Num, num, num. Manrubs.com is the website. Facebook and Instagram as well as we transition. Right into West Coast Survival Arms. He's got a pretty simple equation down. Mike has a simple equation down there. Firearms, parts, accessories, most importantly, ammo. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Facebook Messenger for a quick response or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. First responders love Mediocre Medic. They probably love their Instagram a little bit more. On and off due to gear, MediocreMedic.com, and as I already mentioned, the Fire IG, and the home of the Zero Fucks Duck. I'm looking at about three dozen of them right now up on the wall in the lab. If you don't know, you go ask Mark. Dumpbox.us. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. Upcoming shows. We've got a little bit of a biggie coming on Tuesday. Clay Clark will be joining us to give us an update on uh, the Reawaken America Tour. We're going to have Elon Omar's primary challenger, Shu Abdiraman, joining us. She's running a Minnesota 5. Trump-endorsed America First gubernatorial candidate out of Maryland, Dan Cox. And we're going to be having a conversation with major political influencer, Bridget Gabriel. It's going to be a nice one. Almost as nice as Friday. Tommy Altman, former Navy SEAL, running in Virginia 2, highly endorsed also by Boris Epstein, will be joining us. In addition to him, running in Nevada 3, Noah McGarry. We're going to sit down with uh, Josh Lacache and do the news. Host of Wrong Opinion. It's going to be a pretty fire one. On the 22nd of uh, March, we're going to be doing a lot of talking. No candidates that day, but we've got some great guests. The CEO of the Patriot Podcast Network, Alan Jacoby, is going to join us and give us a full disposition on what's going on with the website, the app on Roku, and all the things related to the Patriot Podcast Network. In addition to him, we're going to be sitting back down with Michael Johns. We're going to have some great topics to talk about regarding China's big play and everything that's going on right now. We're going to be doing a little commentary with... uh, the host of Meme Team on Newsmax and the host of the John Backman Show Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern. Well, spoiler alert, it's John Backman. He'll be joining us as well. On next Friday, on the 25th, doing the news with Christina Bob and having some America First candidates on. Antonio Picoco, who's running in Maryland 3, will be joining us for an America First interview. And then we're going to do a roundtable. It's going to be pretty based. Mike Crispy, running NJ4, and Andrew McCarthy, New York 24. Get ready for that one. Jim Lehman will be circling back on a reschedule. He's running the Arizona Senate. He'll join us on the 29th of March. On the 1st, it's also a biggie. Roundtable, Amanda Milius, Cash Patel. Pretty excited for it. And then Kelly Townsend will be jumping in with us on the 15th of April. So get ready for all those episodes. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Friends of the Week. Some of the regulars. Dumbass Photoshop. Silent Meme Jordy. Real Brenda Memes. Still waiting for a collab reel with Madam America. Should be coming, being released today. What else we got? What I mean to say. Oh, Grand Old Memes had an absolutely stunner 
for uh, Peter Ducey yesterday. He was holding up like the four panel clown face of how it's <laughs> yeah. how it started out in the beginning and how it ended with everything's Putin's fault. Oh, good. Yeah, there's so many of them. I, I just love all our meme teamers. Hubertos 2.0, Snack Thickelson, Uncharted Waters is the backup there. Baby Cakes 2.0, and who else we got? Come on, you gotta have somebody. Who's good on the meme team? Oh, Midnight Mitch. I love it. Guys, things to remember between now and uh, Tuesday. Number one, do your own research. Listen, we haven't covered one thing militarily between Russia and Ukraine. We've been covering it for, this is the third week now. There's a reason for that. Because the backstory is so much bigger and important and all the shit going on that they're not telling you in the news. You have to do your own research. Number two, start your own podcast. I've been lying for the last year. It's hard as shit and I can never do it by myself sitting behind the console. But we'll figure it out. And uh, last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. We'll definitely be doing a lot of that on Tuesday when we're back. With Clay Clark, Shu Abdiraman, Dan Cox, and Bridget Gabriel, we're going to be breaking down the Trump rally in South Carolina this weekend and uh, bringing you all the good highlights from there. This has been episode 115 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and on behalf of the crew, I'm Roan. Noah's not here. Antoinette? What's up? Have a good weekend. Have a good weekend, dear. Thanks for listening, and take care. Oh! Scissor me timbers!